Inside Foos presents Foos Talk Live. Ventura Highway in the sunshine. I, I've, I've turned into Mark Torres. Are you doing the Mark Torres routine? Is I'm that doing Mark Torres. Oh, yeah. and, and also, Tom, you know, Adam and I know how much you love the man America. And so, Adam, Adam, don't we always, we try to bring a little America uh, to Tom. You guys know how to hurt a guy. You really do. It's Foos Talk Live. You talking to me? Compelling and lively banter. Are you going to talk to us? Talking foosball. Foosball was how I measured my value as a man. You took that away. Players and fans, promoters and pros. Unedited and raw. Talk, talk, talk. Living in the moment. We have a lot of important things to talk about. All while practicing social distancing. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. Let's get this thing started. Foos Talk Live. Coming to you live from the studios of Inside Foos, it's the 79th episode of Foos Talk Live, brought to you by InsideFoos.com, offering monthly subscriptions with access to some of the most exciting matches ever recorded, plus live tournaments, pre- and post-show analysis, interviews, and original programming. Sign up now at InsideFoos.com. Also brought to you by ProtectoFlex, the world's premier foosball safety accessory. Go to Protecto-Flex.com. Brought to you by Rodlock. Practice more, reach less. The best practice tool in foosball. Visit rod-lock.com. Brought to you by 518 Prints, one of the best printers of promotional items in foosball apparel. Just visit 518prints.com today. Brought to you by Foosballers the Movie. This Joe Heston of Foosball documentary is now available as a worldwide download at foosballersthemovie.com. Also brought to you by the USTSO, helping to usher in a new competitive era of foosball. Become a member at usafoosball.com. And brought to you by Foosball Clubs USA, promoting foosball through school systems all over the United States. Make a donation today at foosballclubsusa.com. Hey there, it's Tom Robinson. Uh, welcome once again to another live edition of Foos Talk Live. We're here to uh, chat about foosball. And of course, when it comes to conversation about foosball, it's always best if you have someone else to, to share it with. And that would, of course, be the greatest play, play-by-play uh, announcer of all time in the foosball sports. That would be Jim Stevens. Hello, Jim. Hi, Tom. How are you? Is this show number 79? I don't know if you announced that, but I think that's what it is. Is it 79 shows? You know, I was doing some math, which I occasionally do. And, uh, you know, 52 (laughs) plus 26 is 78. And that would be a year and a half. So here we are. Yeah. One week past a year and a half of Who's Talk Live, week in and week yep. out, bringing you all the the uh, the, the chat, the, the events, uh, all the buzz from the foosball community. And uh, congratulations to you, Tom Robinson, on, oh. on what has been an outstanding year and a half of, of Who's Talk Live. Well, thanks for saying so. I mean, it's uh, it's a labor of love, let's put it that way. Uh, but it's, it is something that, you know, I just can't get enough of this stuff when it comes to foosball, yeah. uh, playing foosball, talking foosball, just hanging out with people who love foosball. I think that's, uh, I can't think of a better yeah, way to spend sure. a Sunday evening. No. And for people who love the band America as well. Oh, Ventura stop. Highway. Oh, stop. Yeah, it's, no, but here's the thing, Ventura Highway, right? Our good friend, Adam Gilson, uh, who usually would be here to co-host with us and was expecting it to be here tonight, mm-hmm. lives in Ventura, California. Well, Adam went down to San Diego this weekend, which is, I don't know, 100 miles, 120 miles down the coast. Okay. He took the train. He took the train down there. And that train actually does go down the coast uh, of Ventura. It goes uh, through L.A., Actually, I'm not sure if he takes it from Ventura, but then it goes down the coast all the way to San Diego, right along the ocean for much of that. 
Okay. Uh, and Adam, unfortunately, is now having to take the train. He's on the train as we speak, heading back north. Apparently, oh, his babysitter sh- fell through. He has a young son. So Adam, not able to make it tonight on the show, uh, despite the fact that it is good friend, Lewis Cartwright, it will hopefully be joining us tonight. Yeah, uh, right. Live. No, I know. I'm looking forward to it because the first time we talked to Lewis was way back, wow, in, ex- in episode yeah. 14. <laughs> Wow. So it's been a it's been a couple of episodes, but he's uh, he's great at great fun, uh, great player, uh, legendary player, I should say. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. looking forward to uh, to hanging out with Lewis tonight for sure. And uh, I understand Mark might be lurking as he always does. That's that's Mark. You never know with Mark. Uh, and, and even Clay Toomey might pop his head in. We hope so for both yeah. of those guys. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah. You know, one of the things that COVID has taught us is to stay light on our feet, be ready to adjust, ready to adapt oh, at any moment. No question. And, and that certainly has been the case so far this evening, uh, as Tom and I certainly are, are tap dancing a little bit here tonight on Foos Talk. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that when I mentioned, you know, to Clay that uh, we we're going to be joined by Lewis Cartwright tonight, he said, oh, yeah. great. That means uh, Mark and Lewis are going to have a pillow fight. That'll, that'll be yeah. great. Philified food <laughs> fight. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, Lewis, the one thing about Lewis, you mentioned what a great player he was. Of course, a multiple world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy that tells it like it is. That's for sure. Always has. He's not going to mix words. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And these opinions that he have or, or has are, are very highly educated uh, opinions in the world sure. of foosball. Certainly one of the smartest players certainly we've ever seen. You know, I was thinking, and this I think would be a good idea for us to do here coming up maybe in the next month or two or three or whatever, is for us to kind of put together like they're doing in the NBA, right? It's the 75th anniversary of the NBA. Mm-hmm. They're putting together their all-time top 75 players who are the 75 greatest players in the history of the NBA. Really? And I think that'd be kind of neat to do, don't you? To maybe put together yeah. our top 50 all-time players. And Lewis Cartwright certainly would be on that list and probably in the upper half of it for sure. Well, uh, because he was a great forward, great goalie, great singles player, uh, just a great all-around player. So let me ask you this question then. Yeah. So if you were to compile, let's say, your top 50 players in mm-hmm. foosball of all time, um, yeah. wouldn't you just go to the Hall of Fame and kind of copy down the list? Well, you would think that, wouldn't you? Uh, and certainly there's going to be some crossover <laughs> and a great deal of it. Maybe it's the order uh, that we'd have to worry about. And some of the players that we're going to be talking about that would be in that top uh, 50 all-time are not in the Hall of Fame yet interesting um, and so okay. you gotta you gotta factor that in certainly and then it's just the order you place them in i think and yeah. guys like adam and guys like mark and i know you haven't probably been around long enough to, to really be able to to maybe contribute to that list although your knowledge is is, is growing leaps and bounds it, each and every day by osmosis but yeah, maybe so. But it, it would be kind of fun to kind of put that together and maybe even do a poll of, of players around the around the country, around the world. Yeah. To kind of see what they thought, see what they thought and see what their list would look like. I think the very top end of it, I think we have that pretty much nailed. But then once you get down to that 15, 20, 25, 35, right in that area, who makes the list and who doesn't? It would be kind of interesting. Oh, I love but, it. But Lewis Cartwright, certainly a guy, in my opinion, certainly is going to be in the, at least in that top 20, 25 for sure. Okay. That's how great of a player he was. Yeah. So looking forward to talking with Lewis tonight. I think he's going to participate in our in our top five as well, Lee. The top five reasons I lost. How about that? Uh, you know, this this is, uh, is loaded because top five reasons I lost. <laughs> now you're talking about your own performance or you're talking about somebody else's performance. Yeah. 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 Do, do you do that? No, I, I said that to my wife. I said, what do you think? She says, well, uh, I lost because my partner didn't show up for the match. And then she reflected back to Colorado State a few years ago when her partner did not. She would they well, got forfeited out because her partner didn't show up. For wouldn't the match. So wouldn't that make, make the top five, right? So, yeah, okay. sure. so that should be interesting. It, it should be fun. Hopefully Lewis can contribute to that. Otherwise, it's going to be Jim Stevens. Yeah. The top five reasons <laughs> I lost. Well, I think I can so, probably chime in. I've lost plenty, you know, so yeah. I mean, at, at this stage of my career, there quote, you unquote, go. 
I've always ready. We can always count on Tom <laughs> Robinson to, to step in when needed. That's all right. Awesome. Not a problem. So, uh, you know, I was also I was also thinking back on on uh, last week's show. Yes. Um, where we talked with the great Brian Moore, a, a man who had just tripled at the Tornado Championships. One of the certainly we're looking wait, wait. at Brian Moore when we're putting together or, that top fifty. He's quad, in the top ten percent. He quadrupled sure. at the at the, uh, the yeah the, for sure the yeah. championships. Yeah. I, I usually stop it at three just because we could go on. Frederick Colignon probably septupled at a couple of Tornado oh, Championships okay. if we're counting. DYPs and goalie war and forward shootout and everything right. else. Right, right, but in right. the open events, the major open events, um, you know, Ryan tripled, which has only happened uh, with two other players in history. Jeez. And so we got a chance to talk about that. We got a chance to talk a lot of foosball with a guy that is such a good interview. And if you haven't heard it, folks, mm-hmm. uh, head over to, uh, to, to foosballradio.com and download that episode. It was a good one. Yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, never it never fails to uh, uh, amaze me how his brain works. Uh, not just because he's a great foosball player, but a business person and just an all round good person. You know, a, a generally good guy, and he just has a great sense of humor and and uh, he looks at life in in a, in a very uh, I think a very philosophical manner. Uh, how could you not when you got two great kids and, and, a, and a, a super wife yeah. and uh, uh, just uh, you know just at the top of his field right now. For sure. And he, and he talked about it last week. He, you know, he came up, basically, the foosball taught him so much about life and even about business and how to approach yep. those things. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's something I think that's a lesson for everyone. You have your, as I called it last week, your martial art, which is foosball for so many of us, mm-hmm. that can teach us how to perform in clutch situations, how to organize our thoughts, how to prepare. Uh, and when it comes to other parts of life, certainly you can apply those those methods and the things that you've learned from foosball. And, yes. and he really, really expressed that so well on last week's show. No question about it. Yeah, absolutely. We Check also, it out. Yep, he did. And we also talked about, uh, you know, what's upcoming, our top five things that happening in this final quarter of the year, which reminds us that uh, here in just a few days uh, down in New Orleans, Louisiana, at the Hilton New Orleans mm-hmm. Airport, the Louisiana State Championships, which, again, is shaping up to be a big one. Uh, Inside Foos will be there remotely to cover it starting Friday. You can watch it at InsideFoos.com. No, uh, and we'll have various commentators uh, remotely uh, covering that event, and uh, that should be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, so there's there's going to be definitely some commentary through InsideFoos.com, correct? Yeah, oh, yeah, nice. we're going to have uh, okay. our crew down there uh, just uh, to set up cameras and, and send us a feed. Terrific, terrific. And well, then we've got uh, you know Keith Glenn and, and Adam Gilson, and even I'll try to jump on there a little bit as well so um, to, to bring uh, action from Louisiana. I'm curious to see because it's been a pattern so far. So Texas States, uh, certainly the Bardo, and then, of mm-hmm. course, World Championships. Um, I'm wondering, because everybody was trying to predict, you know, what kind of a turnout they were going to see. Because everybody has pretty much set a record so far with competition. I wonder if that's going to be the same case uh, in New Orleans. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Nationals also with with more than 400, 450 players for that one. Sure. Um, I would expect, you know, these are basically national events. They're called state championships. They're really not. Mm-hmm. They are national events. They get a big national turnout from, there'll, there'll be, you know, 15, 20 different states represented down there, I would imagine. And I would I would expect, I know in the past, maybe the turnout down there has been in maybe the two and a quarter range, maybe 250 at times. I would expect that they might push 300 and maybe even burst through that that uh, 300 threshold for the event next weekend. It'd be interesting to Wouldn't to see what kind of turnout they get. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, fingers crossed it, for that, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And Mary Moore, of course, IFP will be hosting that one. And t- it's a, the 11th through the 15th, I believe. So that's actually, they have it starting Wednesday, probably a, a couple of small events on Wednesday, then Thursday with Inside Foods going live on Friday through the weekend. And then in two weeks, uh, Michael Stahl will be running his Michigan yes. State Championships. And uh, and again, folks, if you, if you want to check the schedule, go to foosball.com. 
the foosball.com schedule up to date. Uh, mm-hmm. Ben Cannon uh, keeps that uh, that thing rolling. You can see all the different events, Michigan State and the Northwest Open up in Portland, Oregon. Our good friend Brad Lorene promoting that event, both uh, on that same weekend here in two weeks. And then I just saw today on the on the uh, foosball.com schedule, November 4th through 7th, the Virginia State Championships. And this is a Bonzini event. Bonzini. Virginia, Bonzini. Yeah, Virginia, North Carolina, that part of the country, very Bonzini-oriented uh, when it comes I to tables. It. And there's some very good players. Yep. Uh, if I could go to that, I would. I, I would just just be a blast just to just to go back and yeah. reminisce. You know? That's right. You're an old, you're an old oh, Bonzini player, oh, aren't yeah. you? Love that, love that table. And everybody else is like, what? Come on. You know? Well, oh, I love it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I love it. To the, the 57 Chevy of foosball tables. Right, exactly. Um, I, I love it. Yeah, uh, and then let's not forget about uh, one week later. And I don't. I, did you have some more thoughts on? Bungie? No, no. I was just going to say. It. I just missed the uh, the yeah. ashtrays on the on the on the ends of the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back when you actually used them, probably yes, back then, didn't exactly, you? Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, November 11th through 14th. Talking about big events. It's the Colorado State Championships, and this one will be a monster. Right. Um, they're, they're they're talking five or six hundred. I'm thinking four fifty five hundred is realistic for this event. It's okay. going to be held in, as it has been since uh, 2014, I believe in Thornton, Colorado, just north of Denver. Uh, Tommy and Sherry and and Tim do such a great job with that event. And uh, looking forward to covering that one live. I'll be there for that. Yes. And of course, every every year as well, we we focus on the Hall, uh, Hall of Fame, the Colorado State Hall of Fame with uh, with some new members going in this year. And that should be a lot of fun. Now, so if you're, if you're still uh, a busy, about that, busy though, next six weeks or so. If you're, if you're still thinking about going to Colorado State, I guess uh, there, there's still uh, opportunities to find rooms, although I think they're becoming scarce now, correct? There are no rooms left in the main hotel, apparently, okay. but there are there are several hotels within a couple of blocks of, of the uh, of the double tree there in Thornton that do have uh, availability. So you may have to to spread out a little bit and, and focus on the other hotels because they have been actually sold out at the double tree now for probably close to a month, if not more. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Intense. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to, to what, I mean, that's a quite a list of stuff. This is a, a flurry of activity all of a sudden. Yeah. Now yeah. that uh, we're approaching the end of the year and maybe this is uh, hopefully uh, a harbinger of good things to come for 2022 with any color. For sure. For sure. In 2022, of course, as we talked about last week, a a World Cup year, hopefully all goes well health-wise worldwide, and that event can take place there in Nantes, France. And that really becomes the big focal point for the entire foosball world. Yeah. Um, And that's going to be in July of next year. And and that should make 2022 an outstanding foosball year. No question. No question. Well, you know, speaking about outstanding, uh, I've got an outstanding thirst. Uh, what Jim and I like to do right about this time is to reveal uh, our favorite IPA. You know, we've got a nice, uh, nice long, leisurely time here to enjoy an IPA because you and I are the only ones doing it. So, uh, yeah, we're Jim, the only ones here. <laughs> Hello. What, what have you got? I, I am I'm sticking in the state of Colorado, out of Fort Collins, out of Equinox or Equinox, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, Equinox Brewing uh, in Fort Collins. I'm having the Star Destroyer Imperial IPA. Star Destroyer. And I'm going to, off the top of my head, I'm going to describe it to you. Uh, <clears throat> after popping this aggressive-looking can boasting 110 IBUs, we expected a fight, but inside is a sexy, dark, golden liquid. The high bitterness is offset with sweet caramels, resulting in a malty, toasty mouthfeel with a crisp finish. This one also brings the booze with an 8.6% ABV, 8.6. but it tastes just right. Hold on. Let me sip this thing. 
Oh my! Ooh. Oh boy, that's good. Are you still that's conscious? I, and I, I do love my doubles and my Imperial IPAs. That's yeah. a good one. That, ooh, that sounds great. I mean, Star Destroyer, man. I love the title. That's Star uh, Destroyer. That's uh, that's like a Star Wars. Uh, uh, I guess you could say a tribute to <laughs> Han Solo or something. I don't know. But uh, IPA in Star Wars. Who would have figured? It's an. It's actually an Imperial IPA as oh, well. Oh, there so you that, go. That, that makes... sort of all fits in, doesn't it? <laughs> love it. Star Destroyer. What are you drinking? Well. Let's take a look here. In fact, uh, I'm sticking to New York State, uh, going to the Grand Metropolis of Elmsford, New York. Uh, this is uh, the Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. They have something called Citra Dreams Hazy IPA, and oh, uh, Citra hops, Citra yeah. hops, and it's and it says right on the can, uh, double dry hopped with nice. Citra hops, and so we shall pop the top. Oh. oh man, that was quite a quite a crisp pop there. Okay. Mm. Uh, well, that's zesty, <laughs> tasty, and zesty, and all the resty. Uh, wow. Um, you know, it, it's so funny how um, I think it was Adam or someone uh, recently said, "Have you guys ever tasted something that you don't like?" Yeah. You know, if I keep I keep this up, I don't know. I I can't say that I've I've had anything at least on the show. That, that I didn't yeah. like. I mean, there have been varying degrees of good. We'll put yes. it that way. Yes. Yeah. And uh, an IPA is still an IPA. You know, you really can't mm-hmm. uh, can't dispute that. But yeah, that is that is a hazy IPA right there. Dry, double dry hopped. What does that mean? Do you know? Yeah. You know, well, they just uh, double dry those hops. You know, before then uh, fermenting it, and uh, it creates a little bit of a maybe toastier sort of flavor. Mm, yeah. I maybe would that's say. where some of that zest, that hoppiness, is coming from. Well, we have to toast. Uh, I have a, a, an auto group of the week all all set up here because uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we've talked about these guys before. Although uh, they are associated with somebody we've had as a guest on the show at one time. Uh, in fact, I'd like to uh, raise a glass uh, to mm-hmm. the folks uh, in our auto group of the week. Chicago Land Foosball. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and uh, of course Mark isn't here to uh, to uh, you know uh, raise the Chicago Land toast, but that's okay. He's he's yeah. busy. Well, we our good friend Don Shalafu, of course, uh, yes. a major part of uh, the Chicago scene. So shout out to him. Lots yeah. of, of great players coming out of that region and a strong program over the last few years for sure. And Don, and Don, when he was on the show, man, he was a blast. Uh, he was one of our early guests, and he really really brought Uncle brought Donnie. Him. Yeah, yep. he was he was terrific. And we're hoping that Don is doing well along with the gang there at uh, Chicago Land Foosball. Cheers to you guys. Here's to you guys. Yep. Mm. Ah, yes. 7%. So you got an 8.6% alcohol content? 8.6. Yeah, 8.6. Right. That All means right. you have one, maybe one and a half of them. Two, <laughs> two will put you to sleep. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully with food, <laughs> with any kind of yes, luck. And uh, you're, sure. you're just about to step into your dinner time, your time in, uh, in, in Colorado. Of course, you know, dinner for me was, what, a couple hours ago. So but... Yeah, well, it's 20 minutes, almost 20 minutes after 7 here. And we do, uh, generally on Sundays, we do have an early dinner, knowing that oh, I'm going to be gotcha. on the show, et cetera. So, gotcha. uh, and then maybe I'll have a snack a little later on. Speaking of snacks, I, I think we had a pretty good flashback tonight. Yes, we? we do. With great moments in foosball history, this is a Foos Talk Live flashback. And Cartwright steals the ball away. And he comes back, striking it home with a left hook. And it's world championship point for Lewis Cartwright. Robert Myers has played tremendous foosball. Lewis Cartwright has played impossible foosball. Pressure's on Mars right now. He really wants to win pretty bad. Yeah, you can never count Mars out. He's a scrapper, a fighter. Mars still in possession. Four-one in the fifth. 
and Lewis Cartwright with the ball on the three. A chance to win the world championship. Cartwright from snake position, fires it to the near side in one of the classic all-time world singles championships. A match played at an extremely high level. Truly a joy to watch Lewis Cartwright of Las Vegas, Nevada wins the title. Just a phenomenal performance by Lewis Cartwright right there. Listen in next time for another great moment in foosball history. It's Foos Talk Live. 1995 with Lewis Cartwright. What a... What a 96. What a, yeah, 96. 1996. Oh, okay. yep. Yeah, 1996. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, 20, and, uh, 25 years ago. That's great. We'll talk to Lewis about it. I think he's going to join us here in a minute. Yeah. But it was an amazing performance, an amazing match, huge crowd uh, watching it, cheering on every ball. And Lewis just played superb foosball. And it was not a surprise. I mean, Lewis had been coming for several years, had had some great finishes, some wins on tour, mm-hmm. and to see him win that uh, that World Singles Championship. And remember, the 1990s were a decade where I think we had nine different singles champions at the Tornado Worlds in a 10-year period. No kidding. I think only Tommy Adkisson won it twice, if I'm not mistaken. I think huh. he's the only two-time winner in that decade. Is it, and is Lewis it, was uh, one of those guys, and he was fantastic that weekend for sure. Now, why was that? It was because there was just a deeper field of uh, competitors? Yeah. Or? There was. There was just huh. so much depth. And, of course, Fred came on late in the decade. He came on in 98, did not win the singles championship in 98, did win doubles at the Tornado Worlds in 98, mm-hmm. lost to Terry Moore in the finals. Uh, in fact, Terry won two. Terry won two as well. So there were two guys winning two that decade. It was Terry and Tommy. Um, but really, over that 10-year period, eight or nine different players. And then Fred began a, a run of several in a row after that, beginning sure. in 1999. Um, won in 99 and 2000, lost in 2001 too. Uh, to Horton, but but had a run there for three and four years, and uh, and really you know cemented himself as as the guy that could dominate on tour. But there really wasn't a dominant player. We can huh. talk to Lewis a little more about that as well. Yeah. Now, hopefully, Lewis is also going to participate in our top five tonight. As I well. believe so. In fact, uh, I think it's it's a, it's it's about time we bring Lewis on because I know he's been waiting for us in the wings here. So, Lewis, uh, welcome to Foos Talk Live. Lewis, are you, can you hear us? Are you there? Absolutely. Thanks for welcoming me back. Oh, absolutely, man. It's great to have you back. We're uh, just listening to that uh, that moment in 1996. What can you tell us about that moment? Can you Do you remember anything about that? Yeah, two things I remember the most is I, up to that point or a tournament before that, I used to dominate Robert, and so I never had any worries. And I think I got cocky at the tournament that I played him before, Oh, and he got his confidence against me, and that's why that match was so close because – before that, I I pretty much owned him. No doubt, no doubt. And and uh, you as a, as a singles player, of course, uh, notorious. Um, you were a very tough competitor. And uh, now in those days, in the nineties, did you prefer playing as a as a singles player, or did you uh, do you like doubles as well? Oh, singles. I was always a better singles player. Got it. Understood. That's a totally different game, by the way. Uh, one of which I have I've, uh, have no idea how to play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no. Lewis, uh, great to hear your voice, buddy. Um, I know Adam Adam wanted to be here so badly. You know, Adam helped to, of course, get you on for this week. And, of course, I know you and Adam are good friends. And he really, he's on a train right now, believe it or not, going from San Diego back up to Ventura and just couldn't be with us tonight. But he sends his uh, his best to you, um, for sure. You mentioned um, you, you, were, you, you preferred playing singles, although you had a tremendous amount of success in doubles as well. Uh, and a lot of that may be due to your singles proficiency, because in singles, you, you really kind of need to be a good goalie. You need to be a good forward. Obviously, you need to be a good singles player. But when you started to really have a, a tremendous amount of success with Trevor Park in particular, beginning in 2000, 
it was as a goalie slash forward. How much did uh, did your did your versatility contribute to you guys having such success? You made it to the finals at the Tornadoes and Worlds in three out of four years. Um, how much did your singles game and your versatility contribute to that? Well, I think it was a great deal because it, to be a good singles player, you got to be able to adapt in all areas. And I think tr- playing with Trevor, both of our abilities to adapt to help the other person out when we needed it the most is what made us so successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, if anybody knows about the whys and the what's of winning and losing foosball, it's it's Lewis Cartwright. And tonight for our top five, mm-hmm. um, this is one that Adam Gilson, Adam loves to teach, right? Adam's a teacher. And so he came up with this one. The top five reasons that I lost, uh, whether it's my match, a tournament, whatever, the top five reasons <laughs> I lost. And so we're going to break it down tonight. Hopefully you're ready, uh, Lewis, with your with your top five. And uh, and you can go first each round. But uh, are you ready to go, Lewis? Yeah, I'm ready. I got to think about it on my drive home. Oh, nice. Okay, so, Yeah, you put it together. Nice. Cool. Right, well, here we go. Here's here the, here the top five. Time once again for the Foods Talk Live Top Five. Four, three, two, one. Here's Jim Stevens and Mark Torres. And the part of Mark Torres is being played by Lewis Cartwright this evening. Lewis, if you'd like, uh, uh, let's uh, let's begin with uh, our our fifth, uh, the fifth place, of course. Um, what would you like? To, would you like to preface this with anything? Well, if I could just throw this in, if I'm going to be representing Mark, I'd like to tell everybody about my amateur doubles victory. <laughs> but of course. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. no, no. See, so you winning amateur doubles would not surprise me at all back in 1990. And now Mark still, it remains to this day, one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. <laughs> and we hear it again and again yeah, and again. And again. So, so when this is over, Who's I want to tell you talking? more about myself. My name is Mark Torres, but <laughs> yeah. my number five reason that, because I can, this is personally for me is either being unpracticed or not enough practiced or unprepared. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, yeah. You know, and for me, I'm going to kind of make this a process, you know, if you're wondering why you lost that tournament. Well, I can tell you, and Lewis, I think you can you can test uh, testify to this as well. When you, if you're going to win a tournament, especially out on tour, you've got to win your four. Got to win those four four games. All right, you're going to have them. You're they're going to come. Anybody who's ever won a major title, anybody who's in any division, had to win four four games. And so, hopefully, as I go down my list, um, I, I can help you do that with with maybe a, a few extra uh, little tips here, or at least some explanations as to why you might not have been able to win those 4-4 games or win matches or win tournaments. So mine, uh, win those 4-4 games. That's my number five. Booze Talk Live, top five. Number four. Just me again? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, number four, I would say losing focus. Because players can be distracted, whether it's somebody in the crowd, they could be distracted from a phenomenal shot the opposing player did that you didn't expect. Or they could just be a drop pass, anything like that, but losing focus to some people, it affects their entire game. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and a lot can happen. You lose focus. And before you know it, the other guys scored a couple and yeah, momentum has shifted uh, and eventually the match is over. So no, that's a good one uh, for me. My number four is you lost because you didn't work hard enough defensively on every rod. Hmm. You know, foosball, foosball is more than just scoring the ball. 
It is. It's more than just an offensive game. If you look back at the history of the sport, the people who win most of the time, with few exceptions, are guys that played good defense, five-row defense, defense against the, the two-rod, had a good single zone or a good zone playing goalie or forward uh, in doubles. But it's more than just scoring the ball. You know, defense is about anticipation. It's about deduction. It's about hustle, you know, working hard. You need to um, identify your opponent's uh, tendencies and tells, either through scouting them in previous matches or through uh, just identifying it as early as possible in a match. But it is so important. I mean, how they, the old phrase, the old cliche, defense wins ballgames. It's true. And, Lewis, I know being a great defensive player yourself, uh, you understand how important it is not only to be able to score the ball, of course, but you got to be able to play defense. You got to stop the other guy. You got to got to dig on that five row. You don't want to, you know. We've seen guys, maybe like Billy Pappas or Ryan Moore. They just feel they can outscore guys, and most of the time they can. But there are two guys also who can play defense when they need to. But for me, you know, the reason you lost is because you didn't work hard enough defensively, and that's in preparation, and that's in uh, on in real time execution as well. Working hard defensively on every rod will get you wins. If you lost, it's because you weren't working hard enough defensively. Number four for me. Booze Talk Live, top five. Number three. Well, Jim, you took my, my next one away. My next <laughs> one was didn't work, don't work hard enough. A lot of people are afraid to put in the effort, whether how it's going to look, how it's going to affect their game or whatever it might be, afraid of success or failure. But that was my next one, and you touched on it perfectly. Yeah, I love that, being afraid of success or failure. You really can't worry about that stuff, can you? You just got to stay in the moment and, and, and work as hard as you can. So uh, it's nice to know that we're, we're thinking alike. Um, for me, my number three is uh, the reason you lost is you didn't have a game plan You know, for, for every match, every game. Um, having at least a starting point, going into a match, understanding your opponent's strengths and weaknesses, understanding maybe how you want to start off. If you're a pull shooter, I'm going to hit him with an early straight. If I'm a snake shooter, yeah, I want to go down the middle early on to open up those corners. And you have this in mind. Do you stick to that game plan exactly? Not necessarily. You're going to have to adapt and adjust and get reads for what's going on. But you want to have a starting point. And we've talked about this before on Foos Talk Live. Having a game plan before every match, have the discipline to step aside Look at who you're playing, develop a game plan based on your knowledge of them. And that, that game plan will be not only what they do, but it's what you do in relation to them, in relation to that particular matchup. And a lot of times, even if, and if you don't know your opponent, just come in and say, I'm going to start him off early on with a straight to set up my long, start him up with a, with a middle off the snake shot to set up my corners. I'm going to work that wall early on the five before going to that lane. Just having a good starting point uh, is always productive. If you didn't win, one of the reasons is because you didn't have a game plan. My number three. Booze Talk Live, top five. Number two. Kind of in the same area. The, my number two would be couldn't win the chess match or you just couldn't adapt as well. Like Mr. Adaption myself, Todd Lafredo, that's probably who I've seen adapt the most. But not being able to adjust your game win the chess game, whichever way terminology you want to use, you got to be able to, to adapt in order to beat all the top players. If you can't adapt, you're never going to win. Yeah, it's so true. And I know people who listen to the Inside Foods broadcast often hear me saying you got to adapt and then you got to adapt to the adaptation that they're at, you know, adapting. It's constantly, uh, you know, adapting. Um, for me, my number two is you didn't prepare back home. Um, the reason you lost is because you weren't doing those repetitions, the ball control, executing 10 wall passes, 10 lane passes, or whatever, brush up, brush down, the, the straights, the splits, the longs off of whatever particular uh, style of shot you shoot. You know, when you do that, when you do those repeti repetitions, it's going to develop a higher execution percentage in those matches. 
and having a higher execution percentage uh, execution percentage is, is vital to consistency. You know, missed shots, they add up, right? At miss executions add up. You want to be able to execute. Even if they're blocking it, you still want to be able to put those shots on goal. And when you're at home, whether it's at your local DYP, playing with your friends or whoever, practice as you would play. You know, use your timeouts at home. I know, oh, come on, buddy, you're calling timeouts here. This, Yeah, yeah I am. I, I want to practice for that upcoming tournament. I'm going to use my timeouts. I'm going to take my time on the different rods. I'm going to play the way I'm going to play uh, at the event that I'm going to be playing in here shortly. And the other thing, too, is watch video. When you're at home in preparation, one of those things, and it's not self-serving here, but watch the best players. Watch guys like Lewis Cardwhite. Watch what they do in certain situations and understand why they're doing it. So for me, if you didn't win the tournament, uh, if you didn't win those matches at the tournament, it's because you didn't prepare well enough at home. Pose Talk Live proudly presents... The top five. Number one. Okay, so just to touch more on that, actually what you just said, a lot of my success, I don't know how I would have been if I didn't have videos to watch back then. I probably would have been way better. But I used to go around and watch all the top players play and I would pick up little things on them. So just imagine if, you know, people watch the videos, all the things they could pick up through there. So that's a that's a great number two you had there, Jim. Thank you, sir. Um, I don't have a great number one because I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. So it's like a two-parter. Uh, first one is obviously I didn't score as many points or the person didn't score as many points to win. And my my top reason is they probably listened to Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that Dang was it. coming. <laughs> Dang it. I should have had that one. Um no, and it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all very true. Um, for me, my number one, and it's something, of course, I preach on the air and I've, I've talked about it endlessly seemingly here as well. You lost because you didn't exercise good table management. And Lewis touched on this a little bit, a couple of a uh, couple of these back. But, you know, you want to have an awareness of the pace and tempo of a match. Control it if you can. You want to be disciplined with the things you worked on at home, taking your time, executing good shots being adaptable, use your timeouts, uh, even something as simple as taking the full amount of time between games, take that minute and a half. You know, there's a tendency a lot of times for players, they lose a, lose a game, they want to immediately get back out there and play. No, 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 step away. Step away for that minute, minute and a half that they give you these days, um, win or lose. But it's about the most important thing. Uh, Lewis called it the, the chess game aspect, and that is what it is. Um, but it's also having a feel for what's going on in the moment on the table and being able, you mentioned Todd Lafredo. Yeah. He's the king of adapting. No doubt. He always knows when to make that particular adaptation or adjustment, you know, adjust to the adjustments is really what it comes down to. And that's all about table management. Once you have the skills and most everybody you play is going to have skills good enough to win. It's how you use them. And that is the most important thing. Yes. Get the skills, work on all that stuff, work on the ball control and passes and shots at home, you know, warm up at the events itself, get adjusted to the particular tables, et cetera. But it comes down to who makes the best decisions, who utilizes their best strategic approach, who has the awareness of pace and tempo, who can control that, who uses timeouts, who is the most disciplined, and who takes their time uh, on each and every possession and between games. So if you lost, it's because you didn't exercise good table management. That's my number one. What a list. I've just uh, I've been writing everything down here, by the way, guys. Uh, definitely got to take this to my next my next tournament. Yeah, at this stage, Tom, you better be six months away from turning master. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> with, with everything you're getting on this show, buddy, well, except for right. Mark. All right. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's it, that is that's fantastic. No, I think that um, the 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 mental part of this game it is is for someone from my perspective coming back into this after so many years of being away. It just it's it, it blows my mind how much of this is a chess match and how much of this has to be. There's forethought and of course discipline. It's uh, it's astounding, but that that proves it right there. What a great list. You know, I'm a big baseball fan, right? And right now, of course, baseball playoffs taking place. There really is nothing better. Um, and and foosball is a lot like baseball in that there's so much going on. There's so many levels and so many layers to the game, you know, so much strategy. And I know, Lewis, you were as good as anybody at breaking a game down and understanding what's going on and making those adjustments. And as you said, preparing for individual players because you did your homework. Um you know, and on that kind of on that note, you know, you're a guy that had most of your success in the in the 90s and then into the early and mid 2000s, which was, you know, many people consider that the, the second golden era. Uh, and it was a different era. There were more great players, perhaps, than there are now. What to you as a guy who has transcended that era and now you're still a fan and still dabble a little bit playing. What are the what are the differences between back then and today, uh, both good and bad? Wow. Um, that's like a loaded question. Yeah, take your time. We, 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 we've got lots of time to fill here. <laughs> well, if you look at the players back when, when I was in my heyday, you already touched on it. It's the, the amount of competition, the amount of people that could win at any moment. And nobody could really actually dominate as thoroughly as they do today because of the amount of players that were at the top of their game. Mm. Whereas today... I'm, I'm going to use Tony. You know, I got nothing but respect for him. But let's just say Tony had started in our era. Tony definitely still would have won some, I'm assuming. But would he have been able to build the skill set and the confidence and everything else that comes with winning over and over and over where it becomes natural if he had done it in a different era? Say, same with anybody in our era if we'd have done it in the 70s. If you, when you start winning and you start building on it, it starts becoming second nature. It starts becoming easier. Your confidence is there. There's a lot of things that, that change. Whereas if you're doing it in an era where there's only one or two other players that can compete at your level, yeah, I mean, that, that's the way I look at it a lot. Um, but when you look at, like, Tony and Ryan, their focus is what stands out the most to me, mm. their focus and, and their minds. You were talking about, you know, the mental game, Tom. You know how many people out there have more skill? They can do trick shots, whatever it is, better than most of the top players, but sure. they don't win. It's because of the mental game, except for Billy. Billy can do everything. Yeah. But if, if, if you get where I'm going with that. Yes, I do. No, I, certainly I've seen plenty of talent out there. It just, you know, when it comes down to, to um, those clutch situations, when you're, you know, it's 4-4, it's four, four, uh, final ball. And the, it's the disciplined people, the people that really think about what they're doing and have an idea as to, like, like Jim was saying, table management, how do they, how do they close the deal, Right. It's uh, it's the, that's the difference, I think, between the, the let's say, a, a pro and a pro master. Yeah, not just closing this, the, the entire from start to finish. Sure. But and I want to bring up also, I watched the videos. I, I didn't I watch most of them, but Ryan Moore really just impressed the heck out of me when I watch him. His focus was incredible. Yes. And go right back to the mental. If you watch him, the amount of thought that he was putting into every single aspect whether it was defense offense no matter which rod was incredible and it, it reminds me of tony if you watch tony that his focus and thinking you can just see those two players there that's why they would win in any era it's it's obvious mm -hmm. i just wonder how it would work out if we all me and my era them and their era if we'd have done it against a hundred more people that were our level 
Right. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's the thing. These guys would have had to go through more levels and more variations in the, these great players because there were so many great players in your era. Let me ask you this. And I know you've played against both Tony and, and Ryan here and there. And you've come back out on tour once or twice in the last 15 years. Um, but what would you do What when you watch Ryan Moore? You, you saw what he did at Tornado Championships. Oh, how would you handle him? How would you approach defending him either on the five or as a goalie? I'd be more scared of Tony's five. I know you're not comparing, but um, it would be mental. I, I, I believe that I would have to figure out which area of the table I'm going to try to take away from him and focus more on that because he's too good on every rod. So if you try to break yourself down and take each aspect away, that could actually make you weaker overall. I, I've had moments where I've beaten players because I said, you know what, he's getting the ball every time, he's scoring every time. What am I going to do? So I focus my energy more in one area, and I've actually won because of that, whether it's, okay, don't let the guy get the ball anymore. Okay, can't stop him. Whatever it is, I would try to find out the the more of a weakness, even so, you know, you don't want to call it a weakness, I guess. less Lesser strength, and I would try to work on that and then try to expand around that. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things I always identified with you um, was your mental toughness, right? You were, you, you said it a minute ago, I'd be more afraid of Tony's five. I don't believe you. I don't think you were ever afraid of anybody. At least you didn't, uh, didn't appear to be. Uh, you always felt you could match anybody, certainly mentally. Um, and that was one of the strengths of your game. Do, do you see that? Do you, is that something you see? Or is that something me as a reporter looking at you that I'm only seeing? Or do you, do you also identify just how mentally tough, maybe we'll call it stubborn, um, how tough you were? And that, that have cer certainly contributed to your, your multiple wins. Um, on tour, but did you always consider yourself as a mentally tough player? Maybe more mentally tough than just about everybody else? No, I only heard that from other people. I uh, <laughs> I was always too focused to worry about anything like that. I mean, my 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 mental, my focus, everything was so intense when I was at the top of my game. I didn't let anything like that even enter my mind. Yeah. And uh, the reason I did bring up Tony's five is because. That his five is the only I've told Tony this his five is the only um, thing in my career that I just really felt I couldn't stop. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I couldn't be Tony. That just means I couldn't so stop his five. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Greatest five ever, in your opinion? Against me. Yes. I mean, when I when I uh, and, and the videos I've seen, it's just his ability, the speed he's doing it. And as long as he's not giving any tells away, it's almost impossible to block as, with with the way he's thinking. Yeah, um, it's almost like Horton's was, except for Horton's would throw in more guesses than Tony, in my opinion. But the ability, if you can see a hole and hit it when it's opening out of that series compared to any other series you're doing, then to me, against me, that's the best offensive five I've ever faced. You said something there about Horton throwing in more guesses, and that, that's that's a really perceptive point. I think Tony doesn't really guess, does he? It's, there are there really very little guessing with Tony. He knows he knows why he's doing everything he's doing. Uh, and to make that comparison, I immediately said, you know, he's right about that. But it, a great five, and in Tony's case, maybe the best five ever, um, is one. He's not guessing, is he? Not at all, really. I think if you watch him or Ryan, uh, I don't think either one of them make a whole lot of guesses. Maybe there's always going to be a time where they're going to have to guess whether it's time running out or they've seen something before, and then they call it an educated guess. But when you watch both of those players, there's not a lot of guessing going on, or maybe if they're crushing, but you, you're not going to see. With those two players, it's almost like Terry. You didn't see a lot of guessing with Terry. Yeah. One of the things that I've, I've found really fascinating watching uh, Tony play against uh, uh, Tommy Yore Jr. Uh, at Texas States, 
And, you know, it was it was a battle royale, but they both have a very similar playing style and philosophy. And uh, Tommy was able to dominate Tony. So I, I wouldn't say dominate, but dominate, I'd say beat him. But yeah. beat him. Yeah. Beat him handily. Um, yeah. And it, it just seemed to me if you're using someone else's style against them, um, that's a that's a rare thing. Have you seen that before, Lois? Well, that's actually something that I tell other people. I tell them if you can't stop somebody or a certain shot or anything, use that against other people and see what they do to stop you. Ah. But I did watch, I think it was that match at Texas. I, I watched that on Inside Foos. And this is just my opinion, but I don't feel Tony played his game properly. It could be from previous matches they played or some kind of history. Okay. But Tony was doing a lot on a shot, especially where – I would see some holes. I'm wondering why isn't he shooting that? And that yeah. probably has to do with their history. Maybe something that uh, Tommy has done to him in the past that caused him to change his shot selection. I mm -hmm. noticed he didn't use the same way, like say he was trying to shoot on Ryan or other people that I've seen him play. And I could be way off base here, but that's what I observed from watching the video. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that he was maybe overthinking some things. And, and in my opinion, if those two guys played 10 matches, I'm still thinking Tony's winning seven of them, uh, despite that incredible performance by Tommy Yor, for sure. So, Lewis, uh, when it comes to that rivalry between, let's say, uh, a Ryan Moore and, uh, and a Tony Sprademan, you know, going head to head, who is that for you in your career? Who is that person that you always went head to head with that uh, you found the most challenging? Well, that's that's hands down, Terry. Terry. Terry and I battled for I don't even know how many years. Yeah, we had some of the fastest matches. We had some of the longest matches. We, it just no matter what, when Terry and I played each other, we're both sweating, we're both working, we're both trying to get you know the next chess piece off. I mean, in my in my career, that was my toughest opponent over the years, and it didn't matter. I, even if I beat him the entire year those were still my toughest matches. Terry was my yeah. biggest, my toughest opponent by far. Really? Yeah, I recall that as well. And you guys both kind of came up at the same, maybe he hit a, a year earlier than you did maybe, but you both were coming up. You, you were, he was in San Diego, you were in Las Vegas. You both kind of hit at the same time, but those were battles and they were really high end, intelligent foosball matches. Every time you guys, you guys played. Um, and speaking of those times, you know, one of the things we talk about here with young players is one of the key things is to make sure you play against better players. You know, take your beatings early. Mm. You're, you're going to get in there. You don't learn. You can't learn more in any other way than playing against better players than you and taking something from those matches. Can you can you kind of talk about that a little bit, especially early in your career, or how important it is to kind of take your beatings early and make sure you learn from them? You know, I never looked at it as beatings because I always felt I had a chance no matter how yeah. bad I was. Mm. But I can still remember when I first started playing here in Vegas at the arcade and there was one player here that just, he was the best player by far. And he's the one I actually styled my game after as far as a far wall. And I used to shoot a pole, but everybody would take their quarters and go to the other table. I didn't yeah. do that. I took what quarters I had and I played the guy that was the best because I wanted to get better. And I don't know where I got that from. That was just in my mind. Huh. And now even when I see players here locally, newer players and they want to play, I tell them, Hey, watch my game, watch this person, yeah. watch this person. Try to mimic their game, try to mimic their defense, whatever it is, and then turn it into your own style. Because that's how you get better at anything. It doesn't matter if it's basketball and, and who, who or wherever you want to go. Who who was that player? The his link loose. I don't the I link doubt loose. you know him. Yeah. You might know no, him. I remember him, sure. Mm -hmm. He was the giant killer. Like we'd go play in California or something and he'd beat Todd or he'd beat whichever top player was there, and then he'd turn around. He he was usually his own worst enemy. He'd mentally lose to somebody that he shouldn't be losing to. Mm. 
that's a that's an interesting thing too. Uh, that uh, that mental aspect of the game when you step up to the table, and you're pretty sure the person standing on the other side is is nowhere near your your skill level or uh, should even be in the same the same room. Um, when that happens, and it's probably for you very rare, but when that does happen, what do you do afterwards? How do you uh, how do you recover from that? Actually, it's what I learned is what you do before. If you watch a lot of those type of players. They're trying their hardest from ball one against the rookie. They're trying their hardest ball one against the pro master. Mm -hmm. I learned you play the player. And a lot of times, you know, when I was winning, I could walk up to the table and you could already tell the players already beat themselves before they played me. So I would play the player. Why try hard when you don't have to? Sometimes doing playing a rookie because they're a rookie playing that style, you might beat them in five minutes in a three out of five match. Whereas if you're trying really hard, these guys are used to people trying really hard, trying particular styles, and you just play the player. And I'm sure that's what what all the top players are doing. You don't think that could, that could be dangerous at times? You know, if you, <laughs> you maybe don't give a guy enough respect. I mean, not everybody can get away with that. I don't think can they? Well, I can only speak from my own personal experience, yeah. and I was a lazy player. I only tried <laughs> as hard as I had to. A lot of times, I would put myself <laughs> in a bad spot. Yeah, definitely worked for you. All right, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the amazing partnership you had with Trevor Park. And, you know, our good friend Noah Rosenstein out in California, who's, uh, he's producing a documentary about mm -hmm. uh, about Trevor and his difficulties in, in getting that first major win after 10 losses in big finals. But you and Trevor Park, 2000 and 2001, you faced Frederick Colonione and Todd Alfredo in the finals at the Tornado Worlds in 2003. Um, you face uh, a red-hot Adrian Zamora and Eddie Gartman in the finals at Tornado Worlds. You reach the finals in three out of four years. That 2001 final is still talked about as maybe the greatest match in history. 4-4, fifth game. Both both final matches went 4-4, fifth game. 4-4, fifth game, second set. For, Fred gets the ball, serves it, passes it, sets it up, calls timeout, comes back to the table, sets it up, and you're putting up the Lewis Shuffle, as it's known now, where you're basically attempting to cover as much of that goal as you possibly can. Now, people, it, it's more than that. It isn't just moving them in as fast as you can. There's a lot of thought behind what you were doing as well. But uh, talk about that match. Talk about your partnership with Trevor and that run that you guys had together. Well, the partnership with Trevor, and I've, I never thought about it till years later, people started asking about it, but there was something, at least on my end, our chemistry was incredible playing together. Um, I never understood his game, which is, is hard for me because usually if I didn't understand somebody's game, I was kicking them to the curb and going to the next guy because I needed to understand why somebody was not scoring or whatever was going on. But Trevor and I, I feel, just had great chemistry, and we, we were the kind of guys that would be, let's go to war. You know, and if you're struggling, I'm going to up my game without even having to talk about it. If I'm struggling, it's, it's amazing how many times if you watch us, how all yeah. of a sudden he just dominated if I was getting scored on. And I remember those games, but I wish people knew how smart Trevor actually is in his game. A lot of people look at his game and they think, oh, he's just talented. He's, he's a guesser. He does this. He does that. Well, I got the opportunity during COVID when I went out to his house several times and we started discussing things and he explained stuff to me about players and how to do things that I've never thought about in my entire career. He told me things about my game. He told me things that he does to people. And now these are um, conversations we never had as partners. Huh. So I wish the world could actually hear the knowledge that he actually has in the game and how he 
took on challenges and, and how he figured things out that I never understood. And we probably would have been a better team if we'd have communicated those things. And I know Jim, you've talked to him cause you guys are really good friends. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and that 2001 final, you know, I touched on it a little bit, that famous play at the end where, where Fred tucks that shot into that corner, not much of a hole there against the Lewis shuffle, but talk about that match and how the crowd was so responsive to, to every goal and how that match was so back and forth, could have gone either way, was so closely contested. You know, this is early in the partnership of, of Fred and Todd. You know, they paired up in, in 98. This was 01. But what an incredible match it was. And, and you know, I still get chills thinking about, about it. it. To me, it's certainly one of the, my greatest foosball experiences. But from your point of view, down there on the table, going up against those guys with a big crowd, with your great friend, Brendan, your partner, uh, Trevor Park. Talk a little bit about that year, 2001, and that match in particular. That's hard. Um, I have watched it, and I thought all four players played incredible. I think Todd, once again, very his adaption, the times he did certain things, whether they were lucky or not, certain things he did that changed the flow of the match. I the way he changes defense where he would rock with Trevor. Sometimes he wouldn't. And we talked about the mental part. If I remember correctly, the match point, I think it's a first mental breakdown I had. And for some reason I looked at the score and I go, and I said to myself, it's almost over. And I didn't have the same energy that I had the entire match, two matches up to that point. Wow. And that is something I've looked back on before. And I thought, why did I do that? That's why a lot of times I would I would hardly pay attention to score or whatever, because if you do that, you can get distracted, like I mentioned in the top five. Wow. That's my nice. biggest memory was that one moment. I believe that was my letdown. And I believe a few of those pull sides you hit were lucky. I mean, Fred, greatest <laughs> player of all time. I'm not going to take that away. But Fred's a guy that if something works, he's going to try it again. And that's what I think I saw was was when I watched the match, some of those that he hit weren't there. You know, sometimes you can be on something, you bob, whatever. Yeah. You know, and that was my, that that's my memory recollection from there, but everybody played great. You couldn't take anything away from any player on the, during that match. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. There's when you can say that, especially at this, uh, this stage, looking back at that, that knowing that everybody put everything on the table, everything. Um, yeah. Um, incidentally, I believe that, uh, your, your, uh, personal stalker has arrived here. Uh, Mark Torres, are you with us? Here we go. <laughs> What's up? What did I miss? <laughs> Top five, man. Did I miss that already? I missed it, didn't I? You, you, yeah, oh, you missed it. By quite a bit. No, no. no. Right. You, you, were, you were number one, buddy. You were <laughs> well, number one on, no. on the Lewis's list. Number five, I went to school. Number four, my parents' divorce. It affected me mm-hmm. deeply. Yeah. Number three, Trevor Park. I watched yeah. him, and it made me fail. Yeah. And then number two is Lewis because yeah. he made me fail too. And yeah. then number one is um, like sugar. And then that's yeah. it. Sugar. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Boom. What What's up? List. I caught in the tail end. I think we're talking about everyone playing great in what may be one of the greatest open doubles matches finals of all time. Is that what I got the tail end of? That's right. 2001. Yep. Yeah, man. Um, I didn't mean to just completely disrupt, but that's what I do, right? I just come and disrupt. <laughs> no, your timing's perfect. We have six <laughs> minutes or so left in the show, and you get to come on. And I think Tom and I were pretty much out of questions. So that we're turning yeah. it over to you. It's now the Mark Torres show. <laughs> Did you guys know that Lewis has a twin brother? Really? No. Lewis, <laughs> talk about your twin brother and how, how, how dissimilar you guys are. 
what he's <laughs> all right uh he's skinny yeah. i'm fat there you go boom <laughs> is that little joe or hoss um that's no, true he has a twin brother like i do i have a twin brother okay i'm five minutes older than him he started playing foosball at the same time i started playing in a youth center in arizona uh he went on to partying and being part of a rock band and i went on to playing foosball wow and what's his what's his name lee Lee. Now, now you said in Arizona, was that, uh, cause I know you both, um, but you and Rob Mars, but was it Sierra Vista, Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. Sierra Vista. That's where Rob used to come down and, yeah. uh, joke with Octavio, I believe was his friend and they would just pound us, you know, for mm-hmm. however long and laugh. And, and then as in the, and then the flashback a little earlier on there, you are playing Robert Mars in the finals of the 1996 mm-hmm. tornado world championships. How about that? Getting my revenge. <laughs> Ooh. Best served cold. Correct. Yeah, mine meant a lot more than when he was beating me in the youth center. Yeah, Mark has five or six questions to ask you, I'm sure. So, Mark, uh, go, go ahead, take over. For yeah. Me. So, seriously, man, you've had a lot of uh, you have a tremendous career in foosball, but do you have like a seriously memorable loss that when you think about it, it it uh, you struggle with it? Hmm. No, I think I no, struggle. No, I always know why I lost or what happened. So well, one, how about the loss you hate? Do you have a loss you really, really hate? Yes. Oh, actually, yeah. Oh. I, I, actually, this could answer both those questions. Uh, 2003 Worlds against uh, Eddie and Adrian. Mm, Lo- yeah. Love both of those guys, Ooh. especially Adrian. Adrian's one of my favorite all-time players. Awesome guy. And the reason I hate it is because maybe liking them might have been a part of why we lost, but I just, I knew that when we beat, I don't even remember who we beat in the winner or the losers, but I, or I just, I knew that we were going to win. I was like, we already beat Adrian once. We already beat all the best teams. And at that time, and this is disrespectful and it wasn't meant to be, but I just did not respect Eddie and Adrian at the levels I would have Todd and Fred or anything else. Yeah. And I believe that I know for sure that I went into that thinking it's over. We've already won which immediately impacted my game, which means I'm not going to play as good. Mm, my you guys, you guys won the winner's bracket, right? You guys won the winner's bracket in that, and I feel like you had a shot to win the opening set and win the championship. I don't remember. I just know that I was a huge part of, of that loss because going into any match against a great team like that, yeah. you, all of a sudden you're not trying as hard as you did the entire tournament to get there, and that's a huge, huge, huge on me. I, don't, I can't even speak for Trevor because I don't know what Trevor's thoughts were. I got mad at Trevor during that match, but that that one, and of course, losing to Tony Friedman in the finals of singles because I got crushed. <laughs> let me let me let me speak on two points regarding first. Yeah, Tony, did you win a game? I think Tony wrecked you, but um, that was like six straight, wasn't it? But anyway, did you get four points in that match? I don't think you got four points in that match. Anyway. He smoked you. He obliterated you. All right, anyway, let's talk about the Open Doubles final. Here's what's Trevor's problem, right? Trevor's problem is that he had issues with people he liked. So if he liked you, because Trevor, Trevor had his own head trips, man. I mean, talk to the guy all the time, right? One of his issues is if he liked you, if he couldn't build up some kind of angst or hatred, like if he didn't like you, you were done. Go ask Bobby Diaz what happens when Trevor yeah. like, builds something Terry. up against him. Oh, did Trevor will wreck you. Trevor, and some people need certain things, and it's unfortunate if Trevor liked you, it was going to be harder on him to do stuff, like the adrenaline waned, and the decision-making was weird. 
And he, he even made some claims before, which I asked later on, I asked Fred later on. He used, he used to think that Fred would talk to him and be nice to him before matches to butter him up. Now I asked Fred, I said, hey man, is this real? And Fred said, nope, not all. I'm just like, you know, I like Trevor. I bet you if Trevor didn't like Fred for any reason, real or not, absolutely that was an issue. And you and Trevor had different issues coming in. Yours is going to be that you, you generally wreck that team. Adrian was doing something bizarre. If you remember, Jim, he decided to completely change his five bar for that tournament. And he, he uh, was a total confounding to Terry Moore. He wrecked Terry Moore on the five bar. And so he had, a, he was playing, uh, Adrian was playing one of those tournaments. He couldn't lose. And if hey, he went in that, go ahead. We, we did put him in the losers though. We did beat him. That was part yeah, of that's my, right. my confidence there. That was why I was like, and then you, and then you won the yeah. first set. That's right. You did win the first set of the final and then lost in that second set. That's how it went down. Wait a but, minute. But, how, that, how could that be? Um, they won. Oh, they lost the oh, first Oh, I'm set. sorry. They lost. Uh, no, yeah. you're right. You got double. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got double. Yeah, yeah we got double. Um, but uh, Adrian uh, was once. Once Adrian got past Terry and Bobby that match, yeah. that that was a big one, right? That was the hurdle, and then they were just all lights out. So um, you, it's just funny how I don't know, man. Like you, you were kind of different, right? Your your head game was really different. Your head game was pretty fixed and. You're like a bull. You're just going to keep going forward in your direction no matter what. Trevor had these weird head trips, and you haven't, you're have you on a team, right? You guys have to be gelling at the same time. Besides, let's, let's not get in the weeds of that. You got What's your favorite win? All, 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 between all the wins you've had, is there one win that really stands out? Uh, I think it was when I won Novice Singles. But no. <laughs> 90? <laughs> yeah, my, my, biggest, my biggest match was the 2001. Yeah, the one we took second. But my uh, biggest win, I guess, was when I won novice singles because that was a very, very hard field. I love that. I love that. Tom, I'm not sure if you heard. Uh, I, I was fortunate to do um, Lewis's introduction at the Hall of Fame when he nice. was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was, I was chosen because the person he chose couldn't make it. So I was chosen. Very cool. His first. His first. <laughs> did, it's very uh, disparaging. So right? Did he uh, sufficiently? Yeah, I, I wanted somebody that could talk about themselves only. <laughs> I heard you were like, like there was five people who couldn't make it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he asked me, and I said, "No, it's probably not appropriate for me to do it. Find somebody else." <laughs> yeah, he was looking for people to the last minute, and then he texted me, "Hey, can you do this? I'm up next." Hey, but, hey Lewis. Uh, I got to drop, guys, but uh, I just want to say thanks to you, Lewis, for for joining us uh, again tonight and uh, and appreciate it. I got to drop, but uh, Tom and Tom and Mark, I'm sure I'll have a few more questions for you. Sure. Yeah, sure. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Great chatting again, Jim. Jim, drive. Right, yeah. See you guys. Yeah, we'll catch hey, you, everybody. Time. See you, bud. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, finish this thought, and then it was about uh, Lewis. So, Tom, did you hear this Hall of Fame introduction? Or I don't know if you were at the. I don't think I. Hall- you know, I don't think I heard that. It started with uh, when Mark won amateur doubles. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Of yes, course. it started with that. God, I love that, man. I was so drunk. I need to go back in the archives that. and check it out for sure. Hey, I'll let me. You. Okay. Yeah. Let, let me uh, just go back to what you were saying. So, my favorite match ever was 2001 when we took second. My biggest letdown was when I lost to Adrian with, with Trevor, me and Trevor. And my match that I will not watch was when I got crushed by Tony that you keep reminding me about. That's a match I won't even watch. It's that, it is that painful to me. I won't even watch it. Dude, Thanks, what Mark. you need to know, I was rooting for you, man. Come on. I was rooting You're always for rooting you. for me. I know that. Yeah. So I was like, I had your back, but Tony, I mean, look, Tony was on his way up, but he hasn't like, he was nowhere near peaking, but he was, oh, no. there's, he's, he's way better yeah. now. 
there are these versions of Tony, Tom, because we've seen Tony since he was 18, right? right there are right. these versions of Tony where uh, there's angry Tony. There's like angry 18, 19, 20-year-old Tony. He's angry. The rage of and it's Yeah, the rage Tony, the one that's in his room practicing the hard, like heavy metal music, <laughs> um, raging against the machine. The machine is anybody in front of him playing baseball. And then you get like a more seasoned Tony, but we don't really, like you don't know the ceiling on Tony because he, he's not done playing yet and he's in his mid-30s. Right. Uh, but uh, when, he, when, uh, when he got a hold of Lewis, and that, which is Lewis, were you surprised, honest to God, were you surprised to be in that open singles final? And if I remember correctly, well, I was probably surprised, I don't know, but if I remember correctly, that's the year where I had posted something on Table Talk, I think, or whatever that was, Table, Recreation Table, whatever, that I hadn't been in the finals for a while or hadn't won in a while, and I said this year I'm going to try or something, I actually made it there, so I yeah. don't think I was surprised. Yeah. You know, the thing about Lewis's game, Tom, when you – so Lewis's game is, in a lot of ways, it's classic 90s. Mm-hmm. But the, the other way it's classic 90s is it's very, very steady. Very, very, like, like in the, in the, when it's a pressure situation, he's going up or down. It's brush up or brush down. It's going to be like two or three hovers, probably 10 seconds on the five bar. Right. And if he doesn't see what he wants, and correct me at any time, he's calling a timeout, and he'll take a whole other look. He gets the ball on the three bar. He probably 80% know where he's going to go, but 100% knows where your second choice is. Um, so it's very classic 90s. But the reason why that rings a bell is because when he was getting to the final, he was just um, – it was he was like a, a warm knife through butter. But not <laughs> – Lewis, you weren't blowing people out, but you were just beating people at 4-4 every – that's what I remember. I mean, correct me, right? You were beating I people. I don't remember that. All too well, but I know I played really solid. And my biggest weakness against Tony, other than Tony, was I never really had energy drinks or anything. And if I remember correctly, I drank some Red Bulls or something to get ready for that, and I couldn't slow my game down, which is my uh, normal thing. Yeah. Normally, I'm a slow, methodical player, and I noticed I was playing quick, couldn't slow myself down. But overall, yeah, that's about it. Well, you think about yeah. the, 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 the classic players from that era, Tom Spear had a very slow game. Uh, very slow uh, five row, just amazing, but but super super effective, super effective. And, and I think it was less about slow. Uh, Lewis wasn't necessarily slow, but he was the pace was very measured, mm-hmm. and he uh, he would get blocked. So this is what you knew when you're going to play Lewis, whether he was at eighty percent or hundred percent, he was going to get blocks. He was mm-hmm. going to score some from the back. He was going to get blocks on both rods, goalie rods for sure. He was going to get blocks on the five bar. And he was probably going to play you even. So you had to like you had to get ahead of him and hold on to that lead because he was going to play you even. And if you like if you had a la- if you blinked first, he was going to beat you five four. Wow, that's the he was going to beat yeah. you five four. Like if you blinked, he was gonna, if you made a mistake, he was going to beat you. It's like playing a good chess master that's just going to keep plugging away, plugging away. And if you have and if you start thinking about lunch. In the middle of that match, he's going to get you. <laughs> so, um, like we yeah, man, about, that was a yeah. Go ahead. Just distractions, right? Distractions, being distracted, not being focused or in the moment. Uh, that made the top five for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I feel I was also able to raise my game. Like a lot of players, like I said, they would go in intense, full speed. I was lazy. I never went in full speed, or rarely. I did in doubles, not in singles. Singles, I would usually just start at my own pace. And if I had to get better, I would. But like I said, sometimes you beat people without 
trying harder. Mm-hmm. And so when those people are trying hard and you're going back and forth the way Mark said, there was a lot of times where I was able to just, you know what, it's time for me to raise my game. And they were already stuck in, in fifth gear and they couldn't go any higher. So nice. Well, here's a, uh, an interesting philosophy I've seen, even with uh, one of our local uh, pro masters, his philosophy is to uh, kind of hold back a little bit in that first game to see what you're going to do, test you out and, uh, and use some low percentage shots, perhaps, uh, you know, not, not, you know, certainly lose intentionally, but just, you know, hold back a bit and not use any, any, uh, any killer shots until the second game. I and, completely disagree with that. Who, who is that? Uh, his, name is, his name is Kevin Walker. Um, well, I've heard about him from, I think Kevin Scott. He's good. Others. Yeah, yeah, he's I've good. He's yeah, good. Kevin's, uh, but I disagree with that theory because you're already setting yourself up to start behind. Okay. So I think what his philosophy is though, he wants to see what it is you like to do, what, what your strengths are, then take your, your strengths away uh, in the second game and then turn on his game because he's been holding, holding back on his, on his, uh, his top stuff. In other words, okay, here's, here's my argument with that. Okay. Uh, you can start no matter what style it is. Like I said, I was lazy. I started lazy. You just, it doesn't matter. Play your game. Mm-hmm. You're fig- you, no matter how you're playing, you should be figuring out their game no matter how you're playing. So right. you can start out. I can say whatever on here, right? Balls yeah, out. Sure. Or you can, you can start out lax. It doesn't matter. You don't save things for the next game. I, I don't get that. You know, you figure things out during the match, whereas let's say every time you're setting it up and this guy's leaving this shot on a quick shot, mm-hmm. every time you're dragging the ball back and forth on the five, he's leaving you this quick or late or whatever off of a motion. You can still save that in your pocket and use it when needed. You can figure out their weaknesses. You can figure out what to use against them. But why would you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do I'm going to call it stupid stuff to to uh, the first game and okay. figure out that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, I, that's I'm one thousand percent against that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. No, it's just something that that I uh, had heard him mention and talk about and uh, a philosophy. But um, you know, I, I guess everybody has a different way of looking at it. Yeah, well, I don't. I, don't, go ahead, go ahead, I was just going to say I'm, I'm a, um, I believe in thinking more like a Gummison style. I guess Gummison overthinks, but I believe everything that I ever do has a thought involved, a reason behind it, which mm-hmm. he has a reason what you're saying. And maybe I didn't understand completely what he's doing, or maybe you didn't convey what he's trying to do. But the way I understood it, it it just like that bothers me. You can't even tell by the way I'm talking about it. I don't like the the thought process in it. Right. Everything I do in my game has a thought process behind it and how it's going to be effective. If it's not effective, why did that happen? What did this guy do? What's his weakness? Mm-hmm. What can I use against him? I just I disagree with that. No, I think that that's uh, we're basically saying the same thing, just a different way. Uh, he's he's using his uh, his first uh, game against you to see where you want to be, what you want to do, what it is, what it is you like to do as a player, what uh, what your strengths are. And then uh, once he understands, you know, more about you, then he can take away your uh, your favorite plays, your favorite, uh, the things you like to do most. And then, of course, simultaneously turn on his his A game. Yeah, okay. I don't think you guys. Go ahead. I was, that, that's normal. That's every good player. I would hope. That's okay. how I look at it. Sure. What throws me off is when you said he's going to start off with some weak shots. No, no, no. I think I what I meant was um, uh, maybe shots that uh, are low low percentage in the sense that uh, not for, for him necessarily, but for other people, uh, you know, push kicks or something like that, or or quick shooting uh, that. Uh, that he wouldn't do if he was in a clutch situation. Yeah, I'll let I'll let Mark talk. Okay, <laughs> I, know, I think, I, think uh, I I don't know what level caliber player Kevin Walker is playing uh, when he's when he's doing these things. I don't know if you guys are necessarily disagreeing. It is very typical. 
for a master who's never seen another player mm-hmm. to step up to the table and not throw the game, play a good, solid game, yes. but be more attentive in the first game to all the weaknesses of the opponent. Right. Say so very attentive the first game because I know a lot of masters can lose that first game, but they're not sweating it because they didn't lose that game without picking up everything they needed to win the rest of the match. And it's not like they tried to throw the game. They didn't try to throw the game. No, no. They just, you know, this is a new player they haven't seen before. They're doing their best stuff. You know, the reverse wall pass. Okay, there it is. They're push shooters. They like to shoot a push. Mm-hmm. Okay, got two on me. And then maybe they probably, most masters will win that game anyway. But some masters will drop that first game versus an amateur expert player. Then it's lights out. It's mm-hmm. like the person never existed because they got every all the information they needed was in the first game. I don't think you guys are disagreeing, but I don't, I don't see, um, I don't think you'll see Lewis quick shooting anything just to just to throw um, shots on goal. Right. Lewis is going to give you his rollover or his pull shot, and he's going to give you his five bar unless he, you know, one side or the other, and shoot his shots on the two bar. But he's going to do all the things that Kevin is doing while he's doing that stuff. Got it. That yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, no, I, it's, uh, it's just something that me, because I'm coming from a perspective of uh, learning what's going on here, it's uh, completely from from scratch, uh, just observing what other people do. Yeah, yeah, I think you, you guys are probably on the same page. Mark explained it good. I think most all good players are going to no matter what game they're throwing out there, they're going to be trying to figure out the other player and to use it against them. I think I was just thrown off with the lower percentage shots he's going to try because to me that makes no sense when i'm up there i'm going to shoot the hole i see i'm not going to say oh sure well that that hole's huge but i'm going to try this hole that's smaller that's kind of how it came across to me no i gotcha gotcha yeah it's it's unfortunately i don't have the uh, the vocabulary (laughs) to 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 carry that kind of a kind of a conversation all right just fine yeah lucy you you're gonna be playing what are you you playing in colorado dude I was yeah. supposed to go to Colorado last time, whatever it was. I bought the plane yeah. ticket, booked the room. Then I was going to go to Worlds. Then I was going to go to Colorado this year. But I have something way more important to me, and that's my family. Okay. And my wife is incredibly concerned with the possibility of not – I mean, obviously, none of us getting COVID, but my son is not vaccinated. vaccinated. Yeah. So okay. she is very concerned that I could possibly you know, get, get him yeah. sick with COVID. So – to me, happy wife, happy life. I'm going to put it off. I really wanted to go to Worlds. I was going to play with Trevor. You know, Trevor's probably going to get tired of asking me to play pretty soon because he's been really trying to get me to go to all these tournaments. And I really, really, really want to go. And I've got my wife where I beat her down, to, not physically, but <laughs> beat her down to where she finally goes, you know what, okay. Because, I'll, you know, you know how we are. We're guys. I'll be thinking. Yeah. We test all the time here weekly. Like, we buy the home test kits. Sure. And so I thought about it the other day, and I was like, babe, I test every week here anyway, if I play locally or whatever. So why can't I do that if I go to worlds or why can't I do that if I go to Colorado? And that's the one that got her. That was the hook. But then I thought about it. I was thinking she's going to have anxiety because she, she does mm. have anxiety. Yeah. So yeah. unfortunately I'm going to have to wait till the world's a better place before I can start playing again. And I All really right. feel bad for Trevor because Trevor, I think is really putting the time in and everything else. And when I watch his game, dude, he's putting so much time in. Let me tell you. So he's got his, you know, this, you've been there. He's got like a dozen people at his house all the time. He's doing stuff he didn't used to do. He pretty much resigned that the walking snake is the way to go. And it's made scoring for him so easy. Made it easy, man. He scores easy now. I so, watched, I watched yeah. the video wherever it is he took second. And yeah. uh, his game looked really good. 
And, you know, that's another reason I feel bad because he's playing good enough to, you know, he can carry me the parts I'm down where I can get my game back. But I I feel so bad about letting him down on that. I wish we could play together again. I need to know which tournament uh, is the next one you're going to because that's the one I'm going to go to. Uh, I say that, though, but I've been to like six this year. I've never been to six tournaments ever in my whole – the most I've ever been to is three when I was at my peak. But because of Inside Foods, I've been to six tournaments. So it's, it's, you know, I'm used to going again, man. I love to come out and hang out. It's going to be good. When do you think is the next one you're going to be able to make it to? Is it going to be next year? Probably here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, I, besides, I, you know, I don't, I don't like people. So I don't really <laughs> care who's there unless it's some of my friends, which obviously you and the, the group techs we have, Trevor, yeah. stuff like that. So it's probably going to be Vegas or until COVID goes away and, and my wife feels more comfortable with it. Yeah, 2022 is looking pretty good. I mean, it really comes down to uh, the the curve, you know, how things uh, go as far as uh, the testing for everybody. But yeah, 2022, I think, is going to come alive when it comes to foosball. We've already seen that in the, the second half of this year. Uh, outrageous uh, attendance in, in uh, Texas, and of course, in Lexington, and more than likely in Colorado. So looking, looking positive, but uh, 2022. Hey, I saw the, the video again of uh, Ryan and Tony the crowd was actually starting to come back, you know, because yes. you haven't seen a crowd for ages. Yep. And yeah. I would love to have Trevor and I, if we get our games back, go up against these guys because oh. I, I think we could give them a good run for their money. Right there on Inside Foos live streams as uh, as you go toe to toe. That would be that would be awesome. Dude, I I believe a hundred percent, and I think what happened is foosball is unique that the great players that were winners. They didn't stick around. They didn't stick around until their games dropped off. They just quit. So a lot of you know, I don't want to be too critical, but you got uh, Tony's an exception. Other people that are winning probably wouldn't be winning or placing as high as they would if a lot of the '90s guys stuck around to keep playing. And when you guys come out of the woodwork, the skill matches, but the head game is equal or better. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Go ahead. I actually mentioned that earlier when we were talking before you came on that that I yeah. wonder if if the we'll say Tony and Ryan they're gonna they're gonna get some wins, but they would not have had the time, the ability of the easier wins to build that confidence in their games when they're going up against numerous amounts of of top players and the matchups, which I forgot to mention earlier. A lot of times oh, you can yeah, be a great yeah. player. Yes. There's certain okay. players that, that would crush um, Terry or whoever. I don't want to say Terry, but and then they would come across somebody like me, and I would have the yes. easiest time beating them. Yes, and vice, and vice versa. That's what people don't understand. Okay, so let me give credit where credit is due. The skill level is off the charts. You look at guys like Tony and Ryan and Billy. Skill level is off the charts. Those guys are incredible, like stunning, amazing. But the thing that people easily forget, and how they don't even forget it, they weren't even around. When there was a lot more people playing, the more when you add one more person, you add a whole list of new variables. When you add people that have put the 10,000 hours in, that are highly skilled, matchups become everything. So a guy like Todd, who could wipe the floor with everybody in the room, runs into Steve Morey and loses. Now imagine you go back and there's a dozen of these guys who your game doesn't match up with. So you have compounding variables, so you got to be that much better. That's leaving out the fact that when the charts are bigger, you had to play extra matches. Every extra tough match wears on you mentally. So you got mental fatigue and physical fatigue, and you got just more people. All that stuff got lost over time because people quit playing. 
and it matters. So it's not to say these great players, Ryan, Tony, Tommy, um, these guys would might, will probably still be up there, but they have you have a lot more fighting to do physically, mentally, yeah. skill-wise for sure. Your game gets tested, and this is the thing I love about when there was a lot more people playing, and this was true for 10, 15 years. You walk around the room when there was a, when the brackets were full. You walk around the room, and there's some amateur team that no one's ever seen before that's been practicing in their basement that's upsetting a pro team. They're up, they, it's either match ball or the pro team is going in the loser. But seeds used to fall all the time because there was way more players that people had to figure out, and they couldn't do it. You don't have that anymore. It's the usual suspects every single time at fifth or better with rare exception. A pro team rises, but uh, the, the matchups aren't there. The, co- the, the contrasting styles aren't there. And just the sheer challenge of playing against diversity. And it's just, uh, it's missing. But anyway, you and Trevor come back into the fold, man. And you bring experience. You bring a, a different level of skill and a different level of mental toughness. Um, that would be, it's going to be fun to watch you guys play again. Yeah. You talked about some of the players that kind of quit or whatever. I think a lot of the top players that are playing now from the old days quit a long time ago. They just show up because of the camaraderie, yeah. the friendships, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's true. Well, yeah. it, it is, uh, you know, uh, no doubt that this, uh, the, the turnouts have been record this year, uh, for the last three or four tournaments. Uh, so back in the nineties, what was a, what was considered a good turnout turnout for a tournament? Um, uh, like fifteen, sixteen hundred, like three times. Really, I think. Yeah, we, there was there was a lot of people at these tournaments. What was that one? The one, um, Lewis, when a, you went open singles at the Worlds. They said there was three thousand people there, but I think they meant entrance entries. Remember the ESPN thing? It couldn't have been three thousand people there, 3, but they said entries. Um, so. I, I got Dave Current, and I remember he was on the show, but I think it was pushing 2,000 players. Wow. I remember, I think I remember they had like 150 tables at a lot of those tournaments. Yes. yes. Compare yes. that to now. Huh. Yeah, uh, right. one, year, one year they had 200 tables. Now well, yeah, they had to they had to put tables in other ballrooms for, for certain yeah. things as well. There wasn't, they just didn't have enough room. So yeah. used to be incredible size, and I guess 70s made that look small, so. No doubt. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Uh, so, like, think about two hundred tables. So, right now, I think Texas State has sixty tables. So, think about three times the number of tables. Now, there was, a, and of course, back in those days, because the, the, there were so many more people showing up, and of course, more money being paid out, uh, people can actually make a living doing this uh, as a pro foosball player. Now, how many pro foosball players do we have making a living now? What is it, Tony and uh, Todd? One. Oh yeah, Todd. I guess maybe. I don't you, know. You are, if you want to. If you want to call it making a living because um, the money was the same in the nineties, but there was inflation. There's right. inflation now. So yeah. if the money is the same or even better in the nineties, but the cost of living is, I don't know if, they, if it's a rate, if it's like a, a $20 increase ratio sure. or five times ratio, then uh, you actually could make some of a living back then. You need to subsidize. Money, was, money was way better in the nineties. If you look at that, because my biggest thing when I used to tour was I wanted to make sure that I could win enough money to cover my tournament. Mm-hmm. And that means flight, room, everything. And it was pretty easy to do. I think I went like three years or four years without ever not covering. My, I mean, I always covered my tournament. And that could be maybe taking a third or fourth. I don't remember. Sure. But sure. money was way different. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that certainly could change sometime in the near future, hopefully, if, uh, if all the, uh, the stars fall into the right line. Who knows? Yeah, we got to keep our fingers crossed. 
Uh, yeah, but I think the, the guys like Lewis and Trevor now, that those dreams of foosball, making a living playing foosball, are so far dead and gone. They're even a little more dangerous because mm. they're just playing for the they're just playing for the joy and the win. There is no pipe dream of being you know having a career in foosball. So they, they're a little bit more dangerous <laughs> in those those respects. Sure, you know. Yeah, understood. Uh, well, I mean, hey, Trevor, what I'm getting seeing from Trevor, he's hungry, like that I haven't seen in a long time. Me, really, my motivation would come from playing with Trevor, but just watching Trevor, talking to Trevor, he's hungry. He wants to win. Cool. Wow. Hey, and yeah, to go on those that matchup yeah. comments that you were talking about earlier, uh, yeah. just an example. Like one of my biggest matchup problems was, I think it was Rodney Jenkins, if I remember correctly. Yes, Rodney it, Jenkins. He yeah, it right. doesn't just have to be at the top level of players. You know, if you're going through a thousand players, whatever it is, five hundred players, you're going to run into your my Rodney Jenkins. You're going to run in. Every player is going to have their Rodney Jenkins, and it could be an amateur, it could be a semi-pro, it could be any of that, and let alone even at the top. You know, at the top, you're going to have your Rodney Jenkins, Dude. but then you're going to have your, your Rodney Jenkins in the middle of the yes. bracket. Guess who Fred's Fred, – that's, that's a new term. Who's your Rodney Jenkins? Guess who Fred's Rodney Jenkins is? We all know who that is. That's his, that's his daddy. Mike Archer. Yep. The oh. one Mike guy Archer. that owned him. Yeah, the one guy that could beat Fred in singles. Beat him like three times. Like no one beat Fred. Mike he could beat him every time. Him. He never lost to Fred in singles, I think. That's what he said. There's one other guy. Yeah. That's what he said. Never lost. Maybe it was yeah. five times then. Yep. Might have been like five I think times. It was five times. The best part yeah. about that is I was I didn't even know it happened, but I was watching some videos, and Mike actually beat Fred before I played Mike, and I'm watching how Mike just basically I don't know how how he beat him, but he beat him with the same game he tried to give me, and I actually beat Mike pretty easy. And Mike's beating. Yeah, right, so I'm not right. I'm not putting huh. Mike down. Mike's beating me. But yeah. watching that that tournament was he tried to give me the same game, and I'm wondering. So how did Fred not beat this? But that was his Rodney Jenkins. <laughs> yes, yes. So funny. Uh, Todd Lafredo's Rodney Jenkins is Steve Morey. You know yep, Steve Morey. You know you know Steve Morey is Tom. No, Tom? I have no idea. So he's the inventor of the brush series, the okay. TS Master, who's who hasn't won a ton on, at all. If anything, he's just won like some classic, maybe some pro double stuff on Tornado. But his five bar will melt. Basically, he gets through anybody in the five bar. I never he gets, saw he gets the ball. Five. Yeah, no one blocks his five bar, but um, but people beat him anyway because he has weaknesses in other areas of the game. I mean, he's, you know, he's not his strength is his five bar. Well, Lafredo lost to him like three or four times in a row in open singles when Lafredo would wipe the floor with everybody. What Lafredo would do is win every single event. We had five tour events. He'd win almost everything, like singles, doubles, and mix. And he get to the worlds, he'd only win doubles. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't win mixed. And he couldn't win singles. But anyway, at all these other tournaments, he's winning open singles. He tripled all the time on the tour. But the one guy, if you met up with Steve Morey, Steve Morey just crushed him. And I asked Todd openly one time. I was like, I was like a 20-year-old kid. I'm like, Todd, why does this guy keep beating you? And Todd says he plays with my ticker. His, his timing gets thrown off because huh. I was his five bar. But it didn't matter because if I tried to play Steve Morey's game against Todd, he would crush me. So uh, Steve Morey was in Todd Lafredo's head. Same way Mike Archer got into Fred's head. Everybody has one their nemesis in foosball. It's hilarious who these guys are. It'd be so random who they are. You know, I, very well, funny. It's it's like pro tennis. There's uh, you know if you're if you're at a certain level, you can lose to just about anybody, or you can win against just about anybody. Yeah, 
even it's very rare the guys and sometimes it's a hometown guy like some guys get complete command you know who I used to beat all the time my buddy Fernando who's way better than me in foosball he's always been better than me in foosball I beat that guy he was the number two seed at a tournament he was playing with Anthony Nagy I had a rookie named Dave Rosenthal and I beat him like the third round five games match ball and like he just tries to forget about it but like I don't know I like that was the one guy I could beat pretty regularly and he's my best friend and way better than me or I'll, I'll ever be in foosball. Hey, remember, the- remember me and Fernando played you and Billy and oh, yeah, 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 I bricked the shit out of him. Yeah, and I'm, up, I'm like, let me shoot it. Mark, give me that same defense. You go, Lou, I wouldn't do that against you <laughs> yes, uh, it's because you had something on him. So <laughs> yes, I gave you a different defense. That's so funny. I bricked him so bad, but you know what? Lewis bricked Billy. That was annoying. If Billy could score on Lou, he would have been playing for third. But that's eh, not the way it went down. So, yeah, there was fun times, fun times. Somebody join the chat or somebody? Clay. Uh, oh, Clay's in the room. Hello, I well, am Clay. Clay. I was trying to sneak in, man. I'm Thanks to sneak for in. my cover, Mark. Dude, what the <laughs> dude, dude, sorry. This is not, rule up, number man. one don't ever have a partner because you'll get caught every time. <laughs> What's up, dude? What's cracking, man? I was just trying to be nosy. I wasn't trying to like come in. Uh, <laughs> I saw everybody on. I was just trying to pop in, man. No, man. It's it's, uh, it's open forum. You hey, uh, jump on in. Tom, Tom and, and uh, Mark and Clay, I, I'm sorry. I don't know you that well, so I don't know what parts you have. But can you guys add to your show, which I've been really bad. I haven't listened. But uh, one of your questions for every person you have on, who's your Rodney Jenkins? That would be I a good one. Yes. I love it. Yes. Your Rodney that's Jenkins. Good, yes, that's it. That's a good one. That's great. I'm writing we'll that do. down. Who's your Rodney Jenkins? You didn't catch the, uh, you know, Clay might know this as well as anybody. Clay, do you know, do you know the reference we're making? Were you listening before you jumped into the chat? No, I, you said my name almost immediately. I'm Googling Rodney Jenkins though right no, now. No, 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 no. <laughs> so let me explain right. it to you. Uh, right. Lewis was a completely dominant player, but there's one guy, you know, Rodney Jenkins, Alabama. Oh, okay. I that, 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 who, that who was is your nemesis that you just yeah. struggle with no matter what? Yeah, that's Mike Archer, Mike Archer, and Frederick for Fred. Uh, yeah, Todd Lafredo and Steve Moore. If you go back far enough, um, yeah. does does Ryan Moore have a Rodney Jenkins in singles? We'll see. Check this out. That's something that can help every player out there. Because let's say Ryan Moore or Tony Spreedman, they get on your show. Hey, who's your uh, Rodney Jenkins? They give you the story. What? would a smart player do at least if i put myself in that position go look go look him up i would go watch him. and yeah. especially not not just against anybody but especially if that person plays tony or ryan whichever it is that's where you le- would learn everything because you could go watch rodney jenkins tomorrow and it's not going to tell you how to beat lewis right. you watch rodney mm-hmm. jenkins play lewis and you're gonna be like what the hell is wrong with lewis clay are you familiar with some some nemesis that you could speak to some great players that just have a hard time in singles versus certain others. Oh, I grew up in Dallas. I, you already spoiled the one that I that I knew with with Mike uh, and uh, uh, Fred. Um, I'm trying to think, dude. I know Blake Robertson struggled at least ooh, in yeah. the, the one watch, the one match that I watched. You know, Steve Morey really gave him a hard time. Murray, like Murray Steve, or Morey? Morey, Moore. Moore, Steve Morey. Morey, yeah. Morey. Yeah, it was a good uh, like a ninety minute two out of three match. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah! Wow. Well, is yeah. is Blake a fast player? Yes. Blake is a very fast player, and Steve Murray is a slow player. There you go. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of Steve Murray, by the way, here in Dallas, like at the locals, I'll, I don't mind flexing that I Murray has trouble with me, dude. Yeah. Cause, Ooh. Yeah, because I'm a, and, yeah. and I'm a little unorthodox, and also you know, 
it's not conventional and and uh and he he hey. he'll he, he'll even tell you he, at least hey, on the Clay. local level here yeah what's up you're uh reminding me of uh somebody i know mark uh, can you tell me more about yourself <laughs> trademark no like does brandon have a does brandon have a nemesis in singles morland brandon morland yeah no brandon doesn't struggle with really anybody man he he's always in the match um i don't think i don't think he's really i think he's one he's not really susceptible to that not that i know of at least i'd definitely ask him next time i see him but no, nah, he's uh he doesn't. Neither does Tony either. By the way, I don't think Tony. Oh, Tony really, yeah, really has that, and I don't know. I, Ryan I'm, struggled. Ryan was up and down with Tony till he beat him in singles this year, right? Man, they've been. He's back. Mostly- Here's the thing. This is this is all you need to know about Ryan. Ryan versus Tony is if if Ryan does not care, like it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch, and Tony's gonna win. Um, but if Ryan like actually gives, you know, that's why I always kind of make the joke about the gas factor, you know, does Ryan actually give a shit? And if Ryan, if the gas factor is like up there, then they're like pretty much 50, 50 over the last several mm-hmm. years. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Tony, Tony won five in a row, but I don't, I don't know how many of those, and especially at non worlds tournaments, like, you know, Ryan, Ryan is there to have fun and to put on a show and it's fun to watch. And he's still, by the way, just kills everybody even when he's not trying, uh, yeah. but he doesn't always, you know, he's, his motivation is different than Tony's. Like Tony is there. Tony's business. He's always there to win. He's not ever going to goof around until the tournament's over. And, and Ryan doesn't always care, you know, so yeah. he just, he wants to have fun. He's there to, he's you know, there to let loose, you know, he's not paying the bills with foosball. So who's your Rodney Jenkins? Mine. Yeah. Oh, good grief. I no, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, there's, there's like local people that I, cause I'm still new enough. I, and I haven't like, I haven't hit a level to where I can like say that there's only a few people that I just really always have trouble with. Your, I, your I, Rodney I, Jenkins should be on tour. It should be at a at big yeah. tournaments, not local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, I can yeah. say that's what I'm, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think like, okay, I'll, t- I don't, I don't want to say, um, <laughs> all right. All right, I'll, okay. Screw, I'll just say it. Somebody yeah. that I've never been able to beat, and I've just absolutely frog stomped people who have no trouble with him. So this probably falls into the Rodney yeah. Jenkins category. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, yep. is uh, Hani Nanjar, Al. Oh uh, yeah, dude, that guy's I a just, problem. Yeah. He, Wait, I, Al from California? Yeah, 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 Al, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. good. Dude, he's I, good. He's, I he's not good enough to beat me the way that he beats me. I'll, it's and I just can't even. I'm not even in the match against that dude, man. He just absolutely kicks the shit out of me every time I play him. For it's, the right price, I will tell you how to beat him easily. All right, well, so they, oh, name is, the price is, right is, now. Is, is, it, is it going to be on the? Is it going to be on the five bar? You have something on his five bar, don't you, Lou? His little, his little off the wall shit, dude. I got something on his entire game. So it's in my every head. The problem. The problem is yes. he ain't the problem. Yes. It's my yes. head is the problem. Yes, that's the problem so. with all Rodney Jenkins. Yeah, it's always between the, the ears. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. not a it's it's it, the whole match, and this is no disrespect to him because, like you said, he's he's a really good player. So I'm not I'm not like he's not good claiming. But here's the thing: I'm sitting there the whole time. And this is a psychological problem for me. I'm sitting there the whole time, going, "How the hell am I not winning this match? I, he doesn't even yes. deserve to be that's, pulling points." Yeah, and here I am struggling to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah and there's no um, shame in that. There's no shame that is, in that. Everybody that is the Rodney one. Jenkins for me. Yeah. I've never admitted that publicly, and and by the way, Tom, if you could delete this episode, as soon as <laughs> yeah, you know, sure, I'm sure, yeah. I'd no, that. see, that's what makes it better. It's hard to say that person. Like for me, yeah. it's hard to tell people Rodney Jenkins, but it, that's what makes it 
perfect. I feel a weight has been lifted off my shoulders tonight. <laughs> I'm glad I peeked my head in here. See, this is why you do this. No, I'm yeah. Clay, I'm glad you joined us because uh, I wanted to uh, mention uh, to our, our, our audience, Booze Talk Live, that uh, uh, Shooting the Shot is back on Tuesday and uh, oh. I got a, a chance to preview it. And I, I have to say, this is, I haven't laughed that hard in it's quite a so long funny. time. It's, I'm, by the way, I'm just I'm crossing my fingers for you to say the title of this wrong one of these days. But so far, you've still <laughs> shooting, the, shooting shot? the shot every time. So. But I, I can, I can. Who's, it, who's yeah, the guest? So who's the guest? Ma- the Midori Kamura. And uh, well, no, let me oh, let me say it the way yeah. Midori Kamura. That's the way that she said it at one point. <laughs> Midori Kamura. She uh, she actually interviews Clay and it uh, mm-hmm. gets some very interesting information, <laughs> uh, such as. Uh, a particular artist you happen to be into that I was shocked oh, yeah. to hear this, but uh, I, can I say? Can I? Can I tell? Uh, you? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, it turns out that Clay's into to uh, Taylor Swift. Oh, you're a Swifty. I've actually considered legally changing my name to Clayler Swift. Oh, it's Clayler. been. Uh, <laughs> and it, we'll, it we'll see. You, I don't know. I'm been, still on the fence about that. You've been uh, terribly <laughs> abused because of your taste in music, and uh, you know you you don't uh, <laughs> you even used a lyric from one of her songs to defend yourself. I was like, what? yeah. I mean, the the bottom line is, you know, I just don't. You know, I think what I said. Well, I won't spoil it, but yeah, I I I actually <laughs> delivered in a in a in a five minute conversation about taylor swift i think i've used lines from three or four different songs yes just kind of slid them in there. god that's funny yeah it, i have uh, no shame dude hey if you like something who cares like if, if you if you're like a grown adult going to gordon amen. ramsay's restaurant and you order a peanut butter and jelly sandwich but dude who cares taylor taylor who swears <laughs> because taylor swift inventory said something like is it because she wears nice cardigans is that is that why yeah <laughs> i don't know anything about taylor swift as as far as what kind of clothes that she wears right i, I barely even know what she looks like but i just i don't know man i, I find that hard to believe i said i barely know what she looks like I, I couldn't tell you what kind of clothes she wears i know what her face looks like because i've i have her cds you know See, her, propos- so, her, her, her her collage posters on your yeah. wall probably yeah i don't but you know money. yeah i have in my note in my trapper keeper i have pictures <laughs> <laughs> no but i don't like you know i don't i don't like follow her social media i don't care anything about any of that stuff i just right. her music is like catchy you know and you know it's, See, it's no I different knew I than could, if, i knew i could get this out of you you're not you're defending yourself and, and doing it well i love it I love no there's no, there's no defense not defensive at all i'm just explaining it because some people are so small-minded that they have trouble understanding the fact that you can just like macaroni and cheese just because you like the way it tastes there you go doesn't mean you're like you, you know Okay. Dude, I'm not ju- like- Dude, I'm not judging you. Oh, shut up. You were judging me. You were in the room judging me. You're, by, by the way, shut, can, can we mute Mark real quick? I think I can I think I can actually mute him in the server. He, he, the way that he's laughing right now, you'll hear this on the podcast. He's, he's it's the, it's the, the only time the whole weekend. All right. I recorded about a dozen of these interviews at Worlds. And this yeah. was the only time that I let somebody else in the room. And it's the last time because this, this asshole, he shit on me the whole time. It's like, he's so right, happy. Dude. It was so uh, good. It was he's so, so good. Happy. Well, you gotta, it was good. You have to that just it, means though. he likes you. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, dude. That's, that's what means a bond of you. And you know, I just, I don't worry my pretty little mind because people throw rocks at things that shine. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's so good. Dude. Man, it's a philosophy it. you can take to the foosball table right there. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Wow. Dig it. If so, something makes you happy, you know what, dude? Just do it. 
I agree. Yeah. I agree. Come on, seriously, it's my yeah. like life. You're not hurting anybody. So, okay, else, let's know. go around. The, let's go around the room. So, so Lewis, what's your guilty pleasure when it comes to music? What what would we be shocked that you listen to? There is none. I'm not. Not it. I mean, I like certain songs. Couldn't tell you the name of them. Couldn't okay. tell you who sings them. Okay. Never cared. Gotcha. No movies. Guilty. No no oh, music. Yeah. Well, we already know guilty. that uh, Mark has a guilty pleasure too. He's a karaoke singer, so he'll sing anything cheesy. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. Uh, it's like um, I like. Dude, it's funny. The cheesiest radio hit of a boy bands. I'll cover. Like I'll cover. I covered a, a New Kids on the Block song. Hanging. I tough. don't care. Uh, no, uh, I did. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I know you know that song. Hey, can you sing uh, "Staying Alive"? I, dude, don't even give me that. I try. I tried to cover. Oh. So, uh, Lewis, Lewis asked me to cover the hardest song of all time to cover, and that was it. I couldn't cover the Star it. Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States of America, is the hardest song in terms of vocal range. I could crush that song. No. It was "Staying Alive." So. BGs in uh, in like true in like without trying to use like a real hard falsetto is very difficult. But that, that's it, man. My guilty pleasure is '90s boy band radio hits covering. What about you, man? Tom, what's yours? My guilty yeah. pleasure. Um, boy, there, there's a few. Um, I'd have to go back to my my early days in uh, in, in the '70s and '80s of AM radio. Um, I don't know. Be a song that nobody knows. He's avoiding embarrassment because by going yeah. back before most <laughs> yes. of us were yeah. born. It's maybe there's yes. just too many yeah. to choose. I Here, let me let me tell you right now. When we were at, when we were in Kentucky at Worlds, I'm pretty sure I heard Tom humming "Party in the USA" by Miley Cyrus. Oh, that's and right. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> say what? Say, yes. Say what? No, who's yeah. Miley Cyrus? Tom's back there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're just you're he just, just said, wrong. You just, just said wrong. nodding the shit, nodding the shit like yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> not real. <laughs> nodding the shit. Oh, <laughs> that's... Yep, that's Tom Robinson, ladies and gentlemen. Oh man, okay. Oh, man. I don't know, John. All right, so who was it? Who was it? John, John Mellencamp. How about that? You like that? That's, what? that's not. That's good. Well, no, he's good. That's, he's that's good. like saying, "What is your what is your guilty pleasure movie from the eighties? Oh, I don't know, man. Smokey and the Bandit and Party. Oh, like the coolest movie there was. I know. Yeah. Please, I had what an appetite when I got here. No, it's uh, no. There's there's uh, there was a couple of really trashy movies back in the day. Although I have to say, more contemporary movies. Uh, my guilty pleasure there is uh, The Big Lebowski. Got to watch. I mean, I've watched it like fifty you, times. You, that's uh, a guilty yeah. pleasure. Yeah, You're not going like to get along, dude. Like a, it's like a cult classic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're it's it's issues, amazing. Tom. It's amazing. It's uh, a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I can give you You're, He's high. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm, next time we get the chance to hang out, Tom, I'm going to just, I'm going to just hum some random songs like Miley Cyrus or, you know, Selena Gomez or Justin Bieber or something like that. Whoever that and is. If, and if, yeah, exactly. You say that. You pretend now. Hmm. But if you can, if you can still be humming these songs, like if, if you've never heard them, it won't work. But Got if it. you've heard them and you're humming them like the next day, I'm like, where the hell did I get this song stuck in my head? I'm going to be like, we got ourselves a believer. Yeah. We got ourselves a believer. We'll see. Hey, guys, I got I got one last question for Lou, and then I gotta, I'm got i going to drop. Lou, I got this question, and it's uh, it was a raging thing that I, I, I had a thing where I was listing top 10 pull shots, and I, and I pushed Dave Govinson out of my top 10, and then I regretted it later. 
Where do you put Dave Gummison's pull shot in top pull shots of all time? You want to give me uh, like a list and I'll tell you where I would place him in that list. That would be easier. Lafredo, Johnny Horton, um, Steve Murray. Okay. Stop, uh, stop right there. Yeah, yeah. You just name the names and I'll tell you who I think he's above. I put him above Steve Murray. Ooh. You put him above Murray. Well, then he's already going to be in your top 10. Cause you start, well, I mean, you still look at pull shots, look at Tracy McMillan, Adrian Zamora. Um, I don't know. Think about all the the guys that have been you have won with their pull shot. Well, I don't. I don't put Dave's. Top. Uh, Dave, Jim Wiswell. Well, that's I never saw him play. Yeah, but Steve Biney. How about I just explain Dave's pull shot? Go ahead, from, do that from my point of view. Uh, great pull shot, one of the best straights, if not the best straight in the world. Incredible middle, struggles on the long. If he could time along and hit it with consistency like Todd did, not not Todd's style, but to be able to do what Todd did the way Todd would pick the hole. If he had that long, then he probably could have had the best pull shot of all time hmm. because yeah. his middle was one of the best middles in the world. His uh, straight, one of the best, whereas Todd was, you know, God of the long and then go straight yeah. if needed and only go middle if, if somebody was stupid enough to park on both corners. Yeah. Um, Steve Murray, I take out of it because, and I have all the respect for Steve as well. Uh, we've had battles, but, he kind of had some tells on his pull, which makes it harder to judge his pull because when you know something's coming, it's it's harder to to actually rate that pull. And he struggled on his long as well, in my opinion. You know, yeah, for sure. He's a lefty, by the way. Yeah, I know, I got that. So, who's to a newer hard, player? Go ahead, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask to to a newer player, like a, the rollover being predominant probably nowadays in terms of what people shoot who hear like, like just hearing you say like you know he had a really good middle like how hard was it to have a good middle as a pull shooter well if you like what made his better than somebody else's i guess because because he tucked it a little too and he was very good at picking it whereas a lot of players that if they mastered the long like a todd let's say it wasn't as easy for them to hit those really tight splits a lot of people that hit the really tight splits it was because they couldn't master the long as well. Mm. So I, I believe that might be uh, Dave, part of Dave's struggles is he made his middle so good because he couldn't either hit the long as good or he couldn't time it as good or he couldn't see it as good. But there was some weakness there that made – because I always go by Todd's theory. I asked Todd. It was, I think, in the late 80s. And two, two players – the only two players I can remember going to for advice. One was Dave and one was Todd. Todd, I asked him something about the pull, and he said something about master. He didn't use these words, but master the long, master the straight. If they block that, think about how big the middle is. Yeah. Whereas Dave's thinking is reverse theory. I mean, he never told me this, but this is – if you watch him, he prefers to go middle or straight every time compared to the long. Maybe right. because of the effort it takes. Now, I do know he had a, a messed up rotator cuff. That could have affected it. Mm. So maybe things were different before my time. But – you know, you can name names if you want. I'll tell you if I thought Davis was better or not. I'm pretty pretty open about it. You know, well, about this. Who, whose pull shot? Whose pull shot was hardest for you to block? And whose rollover was hardest for you to block, for that matter? Yeah, rollover. I can't really say. I never struggle with anybody's rollover. <laughs> They're all too damn easy. <laughs> but Todd, pull Todd's shot. pull. Like I remember when I was younger. You know, young people they want to prove themselves, take on all the challenges. I every single player that I can remember that at least stepped up to the challenge. I could put the two bar a half a finger off the long, and I could put the goalie guy behind it, and I could race him. Yeah, except, I know. I was there. I've seen except you do for this. Todd. Couldn't touch Todd. Yeah. Hmm. Todd, yeah. it's like – and he said something about most players react to the sound. They're not even reacting to the movement. So 
uh, to have that speed and he knew how to time, which a lot of players don't know how to time. Uh, you put that together, Todd had the most devastating pull shot I've ever seen. Hmm. And yeah. that's, that's when he, when he was actually old in the nineties, you know, and he was still crushing that thing. So I don't know what it's like now. I haven't seen him, but just think about when he was younger. Still, it's pretty good. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he, he was probably peaking. He probably, his pull shot was probably peaking in like 92. People don't even know. Man, remember that's when he was winning his um, open doubles at Ford. At Ford, yeah. Weidman. With a week it's, five. Yeah, his five bar was always very, very questionable. All his passes looked different. Well, but he could get a w- weird wall pass in the runner on you. But why was long. his five weak? His five was weak because his shot was so good. Just yeah. just look at all the players. Usually not. I mean, you got the exceptions, but the guys who had the best fives usually had a week or three. The guys who had the best threes had a week or five. They had to make up for one area or the other. Yeah, yeah. Wow. True. Is that a right brain, left brain thing, or is that just uh, just the way it, it falls? Honestly, I think there's some compensation that happens. On. Yeah, that's it. I think there's some compensation that happens. So it's a funny kind of thing, right? The guys that – let me give you an example. Like Gary Edgeworth, he's like – he's a big dude. He was a pitcher, and he had a monster pull shot. He's another left-handed guy, but his pull shot was a monster. Well, it was such a monster, he focused on it more. And he focused – he was a left-handed guy. His five bar was good but his three bar was always better than his five bar and his five bar was pretty good. It's just where you focus. Very few guys focus on both sides of their game with equity, but those guys end up being the greatest players. The guys that focus on both sides. Todd is an anomaly because his five bar was moderate. I mean, I don't want to be too disparaging. It's good. He's got good passes, but there's so many five bars that are better than his. His three bar was just, uh, just unreal. Mm. And then like, yeah, if he, and, got the uh, ball, if he got the ball, it was gone. Usually. And I never yeah. knew Gary. Gary is a good friend of mine. I didn't know he was left-handed. You'd never yeah. look at his pull shot and say that dude's left-handed. No, he's a monster. Like a monster pull shot. He's a lefty. Uh, kind of funny that you speak to Todd. We, get, we always get around to Todd's greatness at some point every single week somehow. Mm-hmm. But the dude's pull shot was probably peaking in 92 or 93. And here we are 30 years later. And he's still beating people with good players, getting the fifth and open doubles, you know, getting up there in singles, his pull shot is 30 years past its prime. That's how it, wicked that thing is. I, I have a question about that, though. Are you sure that's when it was peaking? Because you and I didn't know him. He started winning in the 70s. I know. I, I, I think I'm calling it a peak on Tornado because that's the last time he won open doubles at board was the early 90s, and he started playing goalie. So it's hard to assess, right? I mean, the guys won so much international stuff, too. Maybe Clay's is good. Uh, an archivist on this as anything. When do you think Todd's pull shot was as explosive as it was, Clay? Do you have, do you have any? Does the does uh, the uh, library speak to that at all? I'm sure the library does. I mean, I, it's it's hard for me to say because I wasn't really around for for all of it. You know, I've only been around the last you know decade ish, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't really have a whole lot. Video can only show so much, but I, you know I who you asked? I was... You asked Dave, somebody like that played back in the day. Dave, mm-hmm. I did um, actually. And Dave agrees that, well, Dave uh, calls it a toss-up between, I think he puts Jim Wiswell either next to or above Todd. And I don't know how much of that is nostalgia. There's some heroism there, too, because, you know, Jim, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I think the analogy is I just heard Dwayne Wade talking about who is the greatest of all time basketball players. For Dwayne Wade, it's always going to be Michael Jordan because he grew up during the Michael Jordan era, and he's from Chicago, and Michael Jordan was his hero. It'll always be. Michael Jordan for him, that's his generation. Even though generations of people now, it'll be LeBron James. I think it's the same for Dave. 
So he puts Jim Wiswell and Lafredo like one and two in some order. But, um, you know, he, he says the same thing that we say. The, the lawn is so good and so lethal that you got to park a man out there. And once you, you have to park a man out there, and once you park a man out there, yeah. the rest of the hole is gaping. So yeah, what but are you going to do? The other question was not whose was better between Wiswell and him, but to ask Dave, was his pull peaked in 92 or was it better uh, like in the yeah. early 80s or that's something? Good, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing. We should ask Dave that. We should ask Dave that question. You want me to call Any, him? <laughs> I'll send him a Get text. Him on the show. Yeah, how does, yeah, how does Ryan, the show would be better. How does yeah. Ryan Moore's pull shot play into that conversation? Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, it's nowhere near what Todd's was. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Here, let me give credit where credit is due. What Ryan does with the John Wayne is something completely – the slingshot – and, Lewis, I'm not sure if you're seeing what they do with the slingshot, how the slingshot's evolved into a truly lethal weapon. So the, the, the slingshot, you guys, used to be a novelty shot from the two-bar. And if you ask around Robbie and Tommy Atkinson, they'll say the first person who invented the slingshot was Terry Moore. And Terry Moore was shooting slingshots from the two-bar. Well huh. – the slingshot's something completely different now. The slingshot has like five thousand variations from the free bar, and it has all kinds of funky stuff. And and uh, um, Ryan has a great, he has a great set of options that make his pull shot very dangerous. But I will say this: Ryan's pull shot is no harder and no faster than like someone like Rick Lucas, or um, or remember, oh, remember Trace, Rick Lucas or Trace Eric. These are or, or even like Mark Rudnicky. These are all guys that are like six two, six three, six four. They, like Rick, his probably his pull shot probably most resembled Rick Lucas's pull shot. These hulking dudes who went long no matter what if you were posted didn't matter. Um, the difference is, I think that uh, Todd there's something that Todd and Billy do now. Billy, I didn't put Billy's pull shot doesn't deserve doesn't deserve to be in the top ten. Doesn't deserve to be in the top ten because he's never shown he could win with it, and he's never shown he could shoot middles when it mattered and clutch shots. Here's the difference, though, between someone's pull shot like Todd and Billy and some of these other tall guys like Ryan and even Gary Edgeworth. But the, what Todd does and what Billy do is they have a compact stroke where it's the minimal backswing. It is like the most minimal amount of backswing to get maximum compression on the ball. So the lateral speed that Billy and Todd generate is unlike these other guys. And it is absolutely perceptible. If you look, if you watch, there's a delay it's so fast and so hard. Even Ryan hits the ball, it crushes it. But we're talking about a different type of lateral speed. It's it's like a, it's like a, a blink and it's gone lateral speed. Lafredo had that, and Billy Pappas has that, and it's different than what Ryan has. Different. I don't know. I agree. With My, here, here's what I would. What, what would Ryan? What what does he lack, uh, Lewis? That 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 would that would put him in the conversation with uh, like Todd and some of those other guys. Let's just say if it was my personal perspective and I'm playing both players and cause I have, but Todd is a guy that you move just a hair, you blink, it's gone. Hmm. Ryan, let's put it this way. Todd is the kind of guy that when he hits it, it scares you. At least me, it does. Like as a goalie, there's, if somebody hits something enough to scare me, they're not going to get it again mm-hmm. unless they force a will on me and, and hit it because they're that good. But Ryan's pull shot does not have that. Not saying he couldn't develop it because he's a two-shot guy and he, his main shot's his rollover. But to me, any player that could do something like that, whether it's a rollover, push kick, whatever it is, that's what Todd had. That if he can make you scared, make me scared. I shouldn't say you. If he can make me scared of that long, 
then that's that's an incredible shot. And he's the only guy that ever ever did that to me. And you know, mm-hmm. don't forget Biney in that conversation too. For oh moment. yeah, that's an, that's another one. Biney, these these tall hulking dudes, and they've been around. Jim Wiswell was one of these dudes. We're talking about big hulking men that tower over the table. It's like a toy. Biney's another one. Biney, man, Biney can wreck that ball. He can, he hits that thing, crushes it. You should have seen him thirty years ago. Made the ball disappear. Still, but not what the is, same class. What does Biney and Horton and a few of those other guys have in common that that Todd and Billy don't? It's what you said: the the short backswing, the one yeah, motion. Right. Yeah, that's it. The backswing is shorter. Ryan too. Ryan, Ryan's got a got a bigger, not yeah. that short stroke. Well, well, all of it. The so Ryan's two bar is the same same thing on Ryan's two bar. Frankly, it, dude, that thing is a monster. Ryan's two bar is an absolute monster. But guess who? His lateral speed is a lot quicker. You know, uh, it's not even close. Billy's way faster on the lateral speed. But Ryan probably hits it as hard or harder, but not much. I think Billy's got the lateral speed and he's got probably equivalent power with a lower backswing. So anyway, it's a technique thing. And um, some of it may be, you know, and I won't t- I'll say this too, someone like Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, he couldn't shoot free throws. We don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's lazy or didn't focus on him. Some say his hands are too big, his wrists locked up, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's limitations. Maybe Ryan is just too big to have that kind of compact swing. Maybe these big guys can't really get that or they would have it. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into things too much. People like Dirk kind of blow out the the idea that you can't shoot a free throw because your hand is too big. I think it's just a lack <laughs> of athleticism. And Shaquille O'Neal Maybe. is athletic in a different way. The same yeah. the same way that Barry Sanders was athletic and and how he ran the ball or like freaking the Christian Okoye was athletic and how he just bowled yes, right. you over. Yeah, like there's yeah, different yeah, yeah, styles yeah. of athleticism. Sure. So. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Hey, there was a, there was only one uh, two row that I was ever scared of the way I was of uh, Todd's pull shot, and that was Billy. Yeah, mm. Billy's two row. Uh, and yeah. like any, not when any I was in front. If I was up front, I wasn't scared of his two. But when I was playing goalie in doubles against his two row, it's the only one I was scared of. I had to actually tell Trevor how to change his defense so we wouldn't get scored on. Yeah. Is that like a, just a, a, a change in the zone? Is that what happens when you have to do that? Well, I when I was up front, I could kind of like bait him into what I wanted, so it wasn't there. But when I remember playing goalie for Trevor, he's the guy there, – there's the only guy I can even remember that he scored and, and a couple times I'd have to ask Trevor where it went, and I never had to ask that ever. Hmm. So it was that kind of shot, so I had to tell him. I don't remember what it was, but I think I told him just give him spray. <laughs> know where it went. <laughs> so if you give him just a spray, there's no – I mean, you don't give him the other options. You know, that that's the only guy I can ever remember having to do that against. No doubt. If you know, Last week we had Ryan, and so I pretty much told Ryan that what I saw him do against Tony – from the two bar is a generational performance. And I mean that because I've watched a lot of singles matches and the last person I saw shoot like that in an open, open singles worlds was Dave Gummison when he won. We're talking about very rare performances. Someone could do that in a match and you're like, okay, but for someone to do that in the finals of a match or to get to match. And what, what Ryan admitted was he's never shot that well. He's never shot that accurately. Those particular holes, a tuck split full shot and a short full shot is a high level of accuracy because it, because if you hit it wrong, Tony's going to spike you. Mm-hmm. He's going to score on you. You're going down the middle. But Billy could do that all the time. And Billy, hey. Billy, you play goalie wars against Billy. If you're like Lewis said, if you're playing goalie wars and your forward is like you're playing goalie wars, Billy could wreck you and you wouldn't know where the ball's going. <laughs> you know where it's going. You're a master. That, that, that's a true story because it happened to us. But yeah. uh, watching that finals with Ryan, it wasn't just how good he was hitting the ball. It's it's his mental. 
he was picking the right holes, and when they weren't there, he was doing the right thing that made Tony change his defense. Yeah. All right. It was great. Anyway, we're right up here against you guys. Yeah. Got really no, good it's, after uh, Jim left. Got to so say, glad yeah. we got rid of Jim. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, if you've been listening for the last two hours, I mean, you've been uh, listening to the, to the world champion Lewis Cartwright here on Foos Talk Live. And, Lewis, man, I, it's, it's so great when you come on because uh, well, you, you, def, you uh, shall we say, defray Mark's if, effect. Which is which is great. well. If anybody got anything out of today's uh, podcast or whatever you call this thing, I would like to say A is more about Mark. And <laughs> you're welcome. And I hope everybody learned a little bit about Taylor Swift. Yes, indeed, absolutely. We That's did. what I'm talking about. Taylor yeah. Swift live, right here, right on. So please, 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 please put Ronnie Jenkins into your yes your uh, podcast. All right. I, yeah, no, all right. I wrote it's it done. down. I wrote it down. That's it's an right automatic here. question. Who is now? your That's Rodney Jenkins? Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a leading Mark, question. Mark, do me a favor. Yeah. Just shoot me whoever you have on in that answer because I, I I usually I, I'm I'm horrible. I don't get on to listen to this, but I would love to hear people's Rodney Jenkins. All right. Cool. We'll, we'll make a montage. We'll yeah. make a montage of the Rodney that, Jenkins. Perfect. Well, Lewis, uh, thank you again for, for for joining us for Foos Talk Live. Let's get together again soon. And here comes 2022. Uh, let's hope you can get out there and, uh, and do some playing with us. It'll be great to see you. I hope so. Thanks for having me on again. And I do want to point out the only reason I came on today was because Adam Gilson, a good friend of mine, invited me. I'm mm-hmm. kind of sad that he wasn't on. If Mark's been texting me, you know, at least once or twice a month trying to get me on, I told him I'm too busy. I did this for Adam. <laughs> Adam, I wish you were here. And yeah, we'll get together right, again at Trevor's. And we'll okay. barbecue like we did last time. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, uh, Clay and Mark, uh, appreciate you jumping in here because it's uh, it's been a, it's been a blast. But uh, we'll we'll be back together again very soon. It's Foos Talk Live, uh, right here. Uh, well, we thanks for listening in. Inside awesome. Foos and Foos Talk Live proudly present Shooting the Shot with Clay Toomey Tuesdays. Go, we're going, we're rolling. Okay, yeah, I'm Midori. I'm here. We're in Lexington because that's where the tournament is. You love Taylor Swift? I don't mind Taylor Swift. <laughs> Where does your love for Taylor Swift come from? There's is, so, it the, is it like the array of cardigans she wears? People make fun of me for, for being a Taylor Swift fan. I'm not making and, fun and of I'll you. Tell it you just right now, it caught me off guard. I, I don't worry my pretty little mind because people throw rocks at things that shine. <laughs> okay? Shooting the shot. With Clay Toomey, this Tuesday, featuring Maduri Kimura. Find it on Podbean or foosballradio.com. Foos Talk Live is a product of Inside Foos, all rights reserved. Brought to you in part by InsideFoos.com, ProtectoFlex, Rodlock, 518 Prince, Foosballers the Movie, the USTSO, and Foosball Clubs USA. Tune in again next week for another episode of Foos Talk Live. In the meantime, we'll see you soon.